0: Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like the ball, like the fall season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pellizzola, back here with Sam Monson, and we are reviewing all of the Week 12 action. How you doing, Sam? Good, Steve. You? doing great you got a new uh, rugby jersey there yeah yeah it looks uh, very Halloweenish.
1: Halloweenish. uh uh-huh. yeah. it is the i don't even know how you pronounce it's south american jaguars so jaguarez or something is how they say it i don't know spanish yeah. i guess yeah argentina. the g is
0: always silent-ish in
1: uh spanish yeah it's argentina which is i don't know anyway that they the the south american argentinian super rugby franchise that no longer plays in super rugby but has very cool jerseys.
0: Tough to see on video, but it looks like a Visa jersey.
1: Well, it's sponsored by Visa, as am I, obviously. So yeah. I got I to gotta wear the corporate
0: uh, logo at if all times. If anyone works for uh, Visa and wants to make that official. But yeah. you said you were wearing, I didn't know we were both going to wear the same colors. I brought out my old uh, Devin Stilt jersey. Bengals jersey. You, Bengals jersey. Yeah. you know, be- Bengals Victory Monday here in Cincinnati. How many,
1: uh, how many Xs is attached to that bad boy?
0: Might be a three. Might be a three X. Not three Xs. Fits nicely. Nice and snug. After all, he's a defensive tackle. Yes, but that's I an actual—that's
1: a game yeah. worn Devin still, like full, yeah,
0: full three X. It might actually be. Uh, anyway, let's get into uh, all the fun from the week twelve. Uh, from week twelve, by the way, uh, a lot of people are asking, and we should probably go back and put it in the title when Steve and uh, Sam played baseball. Yeah, um, that actually happened on our Wednesday episode last week. So we've got the audio version. If you guys are listening to just the podcast on uh, audio. Uh, we have a slightly different version. The video version is about seven or eight minutes of greatness, and greatness. Uh, you should go back and uh, and see. Look at that! Look at that! It wasn't. Yeah, we've got the meme guy was back. <laughs> I love when people really pull out yeah. the old was references from like two or three years ago. Rem- yeah, rem- my old pitching coach, the Nutty Buddy, and his yeah. you know, new athletic cup and the whole thing. So we had a lot of fun.
1: We never checked. Did, that. You, did the, that was part of the uniform, was it? The the Nutty Buddy?
0: No, no, no? we never checked. Ne- I we certainly didn't, didn't check. We didn't do the
1: test. Oh no! I mean, had I been checking, it was by you know hitting the ball in that direction.
0: No, but that would require some serious accuracy. So the people who don't know about the Nutty Buddy, though, you got to go YouTube it and check out the actual test the that Nutty was done on YouTube. this athletic cup. That feels like a nice. Uh, it doesn't feel like it. I'm not even going to say it. I mean, sir, it's your uh, turn, so I'm okay. I'm with not that. even going to say it. That should not be part of any charity drive. Nobody needs <laughs> to see the nutty buddy but, tested once so it's already been tested is the point that's
1: true but we are uh, looking for a new one so if you have ideas for our next charity drive uh, send them in nfl email us at nflpodcast at pff.com we are in need of suggestions of ideas of both charities that we can donate to and things that steve can do to raise money for this charity yeah looking forward to it
0: um anyway so we've got uh a lot of uh, special deals today, too, over at PFF.com with XJR coming up. PFF.com, though, it's Cyber 40, 40% off any PFF subscription right now. Don't forget, always send the email to our contact, uh Steven Sam. Are you actually you. pushing that? It's a joke. poor people. It's a joke. But, like, if, you know, if you email people, it's fine. Um, <clears throat> the Thanksgiving games, we reviewed those as part of the PFF NFL Daily. We did a late-night Thanksgiving podcast. Early morning on Friday, so go check that out. But the fallout coming out of Thanksgiving a few days ago with the Bills' big win. That was
1: only a few days ago? Feels like years ago. It does feel like years ago.
0: Did you have a good Thanksgiving, by the way? It was fine. Good. You? Yeah, it was great. I had uh, seven kids, seven and under, running around my God. house. Yeah. And it can't have been good. I mean, it was just, you set low expectations. Yeah. You set very low expectations. And then you just, you can't be disappointed. Seven kids.
1: Yeah. It was a little hectic. And they're not even reaching the age yet. I mean, you're there's a lot of there's a lot in front of you, you know? I have one and it's it's a nightmare. She's yeah. eight and it's just a disaster. I know. They've reached this age where now she's just sitting there all day on an iPad with the rest of the kids in her class, like in some sort of giant video group chat while they're playing Roblox. It's like what is happening in my house? <laughs> and if you listen to like it But she's quiet. No, that's the thing. Oh, she's not it's quiet. not quiet at all. It's the loudest thing in the entire world in the middle of the living room. And if you listen to like a group of eight-year-old girls talk for any period of time on a group chat, it will make you want to just destroy the... Like Thanos and his... You know, <laughs> that's what you want to do. Just end it now. Oh, it actually We've sounds terrible. We've gone too far. It sounds terrible. Oh, God. Um, anyway. Uh, that's like trauma. You just resurface there. Imagine if you had... Seven kids running around. That's what I'm saying. I can't, no, I refuse to put myself in that headspace or my brain will just. Well, I'll keep
0: you updated as the four grow. Um, I also like the commenter who was like, LOL, look at Steve's eight year old who's as tall as Sam, and that's my six year old. Yeah, who's uh, almost as tall as Sam. He's almost as tall as you.
1: No, come on. Look, I get unfairly criticized in terms of height by perspective, right? You screw me because you're nine and a half feet tall. I'm like 5'11. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a tiny person. Proud of you, man.
0: You get Thank a, like, you. NFL cornerback
1: size <laughs> here. This is what I'm saying. I'm like a normal human size, but put next to you, I look like a child. That's what I do. And, you know, large as your six-year-old is, I mean, what, what are we talking you about You have here? a lot of weight on him. He's Five skinny. feet? He's skinny. I've still got like a foot on him. He's skinny. That's all I'm
0: saying. He's got a of six six-year-old. Old. He's only about 50 pounds. 55 pounds. Well, there you go. Yeah. i got a lot of weight on him. You do. Yeah. You can push him around. Right. For sure. <laughs> um... The, uh, the, Thanksgiving, the only thing I wanted to talk about Thanksgiving fallout, the Cowboys fall to 7-4, and four, so they kind of fall out of that number one seed contention in the NFC. The Bills hanging with the New England Patriots and now primed for, I think it's Monday night football. Yeah, Next week, is. Bills-Patriots. So the Bills had a really nice win on Thursday night. Other than that, there wasn't a whole lot notable, but if you do want to go back, PFF NFL Daily on Friday morning, we did recap that. All right. Let's go through all of yesterday's action. Let's start. You're with are excited now because now we can like we got three games out of the way. Three out of the way. We can like get this whole thing done in under three hours. Fastest show. It's we're going to be two hours and out. <laughs> two hours today,
1: right? What are the somebody somebody start running a book on this in the
0: comments section? What are the odds we can get out of here in two hours? No, you people, you. It's it's all it's all you guys. You guys love the long shows. You guys always listen in and watching the whole thing. Let's start with our Bengals. The hometown Bengals, 41. The Steelers, 10. They sweep the Steelers, uh, beat them for the third straight time. And it wasn't even as close as that. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It was a late touchdown by the Steelers. It was 41-3 to for a little bit. Uh, The Bengals with another just straight-up dominant outing. Big Ben, four or five turnover-worthy plays, threw a bunch into coverage, picked six in there. Man, this was just uh, a beatdown from start to finish. It really was. Um, you know, heading into this game,
1: the well the line was like three points or something, and you're like, I like the Bengals because they're just better everywhere. Like, all of a sudden Pittsburgh. Well, all of a sudden Pittsburgh's like lack of quality. Um, not everyone. Up.
0: Not everyone liked. Oh look, yeah, look I picked. That. Yeah. I bought into this whole Tomlin factor a couple weeks ago. Well, this is what I'm saying. So it's like Pittsburgh are just not
1: very good right now. And if you look at their grading, like in the last four weeks, they haven't had a grade five weeks now, presumably. I haven't checked. But in the last four weeks heading into this game, they hadn't had a grade on offense higher than 63. They'd had one grade on defense better than 60. It's like this is just a bad team that's been hanging quite well during the season because they have Mike Tomlin and there's a lot of veteran savvy around and every now and again people make some plays. But fundamentally, they're just not good right whereas you look at Cincinnati and there's a lot of encouraging pieces in this team a lot of players where they're just better than their opposition you're like there's no reason this shouldn't be a fairly comfortable Cincinnati win the only reason you would say it isn't is because the Steelers have Mike Tomlin and Mike Tomlin is a really good coach they always hang tight and um, you know a couple of people were making the point in the live show that they just don't get blown out ever so we lean Pittsburgh well, that just fell apart in this game. Like, start to finish. Strong take. Yeah.
0: Start to finish, the uh, the Bengals just destroyed them. One thing I liked about the Bengals. So the Bengals feel like they're playing Browns football. Browns football. Better than the Browns. Well, I mean, the they,
1: Browns aren't playing very good football at all. Well,
0: the the, pinnock, the the peak Browns of last year, where they had those games where they ran for 200 yards and you know, QB didn't have to do a whole lot and all that stuff. Joe Burrow played a really good game, but he had 24 pass attempts. He was 20 for 24 throwing the ball, which is great. But it's another one of those games where the Bengals rushing attack with Joe Mixon. He carries it 28 times for buck $1.65. Um, there were many nails in the coffin, but he had a big touchdown run late to, like, you know, really, really run up that score against the hated Steelers here in Cincinnati. Uh, but it's one of those games where it's like, alright, we don't even need a ton from the passing attack, but when we do go to the air, it's going to be really efficient. And the thing I really liked was T. Higgins was the go-to guy this particular week, and we had been asking ourselves about that for the Bengals for a few weeks now. Why, why can't we get a little bit more out of T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd or some other complimentary piece to Jamar Chase and this was just a really good well-rounded effort and in one where hey T-, T Higgins was the guy with six catches for 114 in this one
1: yeah but again I think it's interesting that like the division of, of targets between those three guys has always been pretty close it feels like it's all been Jamar Chase because a lot of it is like every pass that ends up going in this direction for about five weeks was turning into a spectacular play so it felt like you're just always leaning on him. But the like actually the targets between the three guys is always pretty close. And in this game, again, um, like Jamar Chase has three targets, Tyler Boyd has three, T. Higgins has seven. Like they do spread the ball around relatively evenly amongst those three guys. And it's just a case of like which one is going to have which one is going to have the success in that given day. Like which guy is getting more open, which guy's yeah, making they, plays. Will after. they actually
0: produce? Right. And and Higgins produced in this one, big jump ball for a touchdown that he goes up and wins, uses that height. I mean, this is when Cincinnati's really dangerous. When Mixon's running the ball, they're working the play-action game. You have a Jamar Chase, you have T. Higgins, and you have Tyler Boyd to worry about.
1: Like, the flip side of that is the Steelers are out here with 17 targets going towards Deontay Johnson. It's like this is a one-man show, and that's not
0: good. No, that offense is just – It's just not there. Chase Claypool, I mean, look, I said all season their best offense is chucking it up to Chase Claypool. Mm. Now, I also admitted, when you do that, bad (laughs) stuff can happen. There's a miscommunication (laughs) with Big Ben, Picks uh, interception early there. Um, But then they keep coming back, you know, chucking it up. And it's it's a little hit or miss with uh, Chase Claypool down the field. It's not that he wins all the time, but Mm. he is the most capable of making those freakish plays. And look... The alternative is handed off to Najee for three yards of carry. So give me the volatile downfield Steelers passing attack just to uh, just to see if you could hit on a couple. But the volatility was there in this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was kind of a game where you're like, it doesn't really matter what the game plan is. They're just not good enough, you know? Like, it's it's unfortunate for the Steelers in that record-wise, they're still right in the thick of it. Like, they're chasing a wild card along with a bunch of other teams, and they're not... Blown out of the water, but like if you if you execute this game plan that you want them to run of just like YOLO balls left, right, and center, hope the the guys at the end of it make some plays. It's not a particularly high percentage strategy. If you play conservative, you hand it off to Najee Harris, you're just running into a brick wall every play. That's not working either. The dink and dunk style of underneath to Deontay Johnson every play is also not going to work because it's way it's it's asking for way too few mistakes. Roethlisberger's noodle of an arm is going to just lob one to a defender at some point. They're just, they're not capable of beating good teams. And, you know, if you play a team like Cincinnati, who has guys like Mike Hilton, who's capable of reading and jumping on those things, it's just, they're just not capable of, like, putting up enough points.
0: Yeah, is this is this one of those times when pre preseason takes are finally starting to yeah, to catch that's up? That's what here I'm saying. Like the, the last four
1: weeks, have sort of said this is actually who the Steelers are. You said that uh, that Ben Stockwell compared Ben Roethlisberger's arm to yours.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, look, we're. The grading's is the The reviews of the grades are happening right now, and, and they're debating. You know, one of the Big Ben's throws. Mm-hmm. Healthy debate. We are, because we have chats where all of our reviewers or QB reviewers are in there, and, and I'm in that chat. And the, he made a little comparison to me. Yeah. He said, "Well, you know, when Big Ben, has got this Palazzolo arm. What, what can you expect? He needs yeah. to know better not to make that throw. <laughs> like I knew better than to uh, try and hit the plate. Throw it. Yeah, because I mean, if I threw it over the plate, you probably would have crushed it. Who wants that? Me. Yeah." Quite a lot. Yeah. Imagine me in a major league game right now. No. I did. I'd be thrown so far under the hitting speed. Though. This is what
1: I'm saying. I'm like, it's, part of me is like, oh, this baseball game seems really easy. I understand
0: that I didn't actually do anything with these pitches on the basis that they were three yards outside do I have to like? Do I have to train right now just so you don't disparage the great game here? The great sport of baseball I mean, I, the
1: the movement I think you threw one that did some weird stuff in terms of movement that I think would be the a problem. one time I threw a slider or yeah. a curveball that feels yeah. like it would be a problem but the actual yeah. speed was was miserable yeah the speed on a slider or a curveball is not supposed to be no, no not the slider the speed, oh. your general speed your your max out speed of 74 was
0: vaguely pitiful I mean, yeah it's poor high school speed yeah yeah that's where I'm at yeah we'll get back um, anyway you think you think the 39-year-old arms got it in it? Yeah, I'll be back. Okay. I thought 11 years rest would do me well. The, the movie The Rookie where the guy came back throwing 98. Yeah. That's well, not you. I went, I went the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping 11 years rest would. You're like a, uh, you're like a,
1: a, a muscle car that's been parked in a barn for 25 years, and you drag it out, and it's like got seven horsepower now. You've got to run it through a full service before you can get those horses back. Yeah, I don't have time for full service. No.
0: The uh AFC North will uh, we'll touch on the, the Ravens Browns game, but now uh Ravens are at eight and three after their impressive Sunday night football win. What stuff? Crazy win. Uh Bengals are now sole sole possession of second place, seven and four. Um yeah, I didn't mean to fool you guys. We're not we're not going to Browns Ravens yet. We're not there yet. We'll get there. Uh Bengals now second place, seven and four. The best point differential in the in the in the division, too, if you're into point differential. But the Steelers, 5-5-1, five, five, and one, and then the Browns at 6-6. Six and six, We're starting to see a little bit of separation in what I thought, along with the NFC West, was the deepest division in the NFL coming into the season. And we're you know, starting to see that. Ravens and Bengals now sitting atop. Are the Steelers cooked for the season here?
1: Yes. I would find it pretty hard to believe that they turn this around and go – I mean you know they're chasing a wild card spot right so it feels like they have a very small chance of hitting any kind of wild card spot the way they're playing right now they would need a fairly significant turnaround and i'm not sure where it's coming from like they had a lot of their defenders back in this game and they couldn't stop the Bengals scoring at any point in the game um they we just talked about how their offense just isn't capable of it so where is it coming from like this turnaround you're expecting essentially mike tomlin To overcome the odds on both sides of the ball by himself and coaching, and that feels like a a challenge that's just not realistic. Yeah,
0: Big Ben just he's got two grades above seventy this year. Yeah, I mean you just can't win. You just can't win with with no quarterback play like that. More turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws this season, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just not. This, by
1: the way, is basically what he was doing last year, including his numbers. Like box score is okay. Um, it's actually reasonably good this season. But, all, but Steelers, it's like, you know, the way sometimes like Pro Bowl voting works on like a year's lag, right? Like a guy plays really well, and then next year he'll get the recognition for Pro Bowl and All-Pro and all that kind of stuff. Similarly, when a guy like falls off a cliff and he's done, it's going to take a year before people figure it out. He'll still get voted when he's playing like crap. Steelers fans last year were ripping us mercilessly, week upon week, Because we were grading Big Ben terribly, despite the fact that his box score was really good. He was playing, you know, the Steelers are winning, all this kind of stuff. It's like this year, nothing's changed. He's still, like, the the numbers are still fine. He's still grading the same, but we've realized the truth. It's like, you know, the veil has been lifted. It's like, oh, yeah, he he actually is done, cooked, just over. Uh, We're not going to argue it anymore. (laughs)
0: All right. The thing, the, thing that's different, the thing that's different this year, though, is just the pure negative plays for Big Ben. He's got 10 more sacks this year than last year, and last year including the playoffs. He's been sacked a lot more, and the, he's already got the same number of turnover-worthy plays this year as he had last year. Last year they at least, even though he last year he averaged 6.1 yards per attempt, I mean, it was terrible. They at least got the ball out. and didn't have nearly as many negative plays. And... Um, this year they do and we saw all those interceptions and everything come back to bite yesterday for the Steelers. So yeah, they have a they have an uphill battle to say the least and now the Bengals are right back in the mix, you know, if they don't if they don't have that one blip against the Jets, which, you know, there's always those that one game I think a lot of teams want back. That one game against the Jets, they'd be sitting there at uh, 8 and 3. There's so many games this year. Like somebody needs to do like a
1: power ranking of games that just make no freaking sense. The Bengals lost to the Jets.
0: It's one the of the biggest to Mike White in the Jets. Right.
1: The Bills lost to the Jags. Like, there's just this sequence of games that you're like, what the hell
0: happened? Yeah. That one, they would be, the Bengals would be tied with the Ravens atop the division, eight and three.
1: Yeah. And, and the we, Bills, the Bills losing the Jags is like a huge game in their season. All of a sudden they're tied essentially with the Patriots. The with, Bills would also be eight and three. With two games against the Patriots. Can you imagine what it would be like if they had a game extra, you know, like no. a buffer to be able to no. toss one of those away and still be okay? Well, you got to show up every week.
0: Here in the NFL. Even against the Jags. All right, let's go right to that Sunday night football game, though. Oh, God. 16 to 10. Ravens over the Browns. No, uh I mean, it was entertaining. Yeah. Ugly football is entertaining. Oh, man, I missed this one, too, huh? You got it. You nailed it. There you go. Baltimore by three and a half. Stop the count. Am I 2 and 0? Oh? Let's end. You're 2 and 0 oh right now. Are uh, those like the, my two wins of the week. Probably. The <laughs> games that we picked. Yeah. It wasn't looking good heading uh, into primetime. Uh, 16 to 10. Uh, The Ravens set some sort of record as the only team to be like minus four in turnovers and only get less than 325 total yards. And previously, the teams that did that were like oh in a million, and now they're one in a million. Yeah, it's like it was like oh in hundreds. Uh, But the Ravens win 16 to 10, and uh, just an ugly game for for both sides here. (laughs) This was so bad. You're right. It was
1: entertaining though. In I can't even think of a suitable analogy for how... But just, like, the way some things that are terrible are quite funny to watch. Like a circus. Sure. Yeah. A circus wouldn't be a bad one. Or, like, you know those movies that are so bad they're funny? You know? Like, a a movie that doesn't think it's funny. Like, it's not an intentional comedy, but it's so awful.
0: Like... I thought the movie Unbreakable was like that. I know some people actually liked that. I don't know if you've seen that movie. But I thought Unbreakable was so ridiculous that uh, there were some funny lines that came out of it. Well,
1: like uh, the movie Commando, right? Remember Commando? Arnold Schwarzenegger, vintage Schwarzenegger. I mean, all of those. Now, that's become so kind of cult that it's almost serious again. But that, at the time, was an intentional like action serious movie. And yet, if you watch even just like the opening sequence now, it's one of the most ridiculous things you'll ever see in your life. It's hilarious. But it's so... It's an unintentional comedy. That's kind of what this was. It was such a complete joke of teams just screwing things up left, right, and center that it was kind of funny to watch. And, you know, late in the game, <laughs> Cleveland needs to score at some point to, to win if they have any hope of it. And you're like, you don't want the ball on offense. Like The, Bengal, or the, the Ravens punt it to Cleveland. You're like, punt it right back. Like, first down, just kick it back to them. You don't want the ball. Like, that, you have a way better chance of scoring through something ridiculous happening and you, you know, getting a pick or a fumble six or whatever than you have of Baker Mayfield
0: executing this game-winning drive. All right, from a Browns perspective, Baker Mayfield had two game-winning drive opportunities, and the Browns go seven and out. Yeah. Three and out, punt it back, get yeah, one more opportunity. The first opportunity, they were down three. Yeah, one more opportunity. They're down six. They go four and out. There was one good throw in there. I thought that, I think it was Jarvis Landry. Couldn't haul it in on the the back shoulder. Um, And then the throw short of the sticks against the Blitz. At some point, I mean, these are are consistent themes here. Baker Mayfield against the Chiefs, against the Chargers. He's got an opportunity to just move the ball in the fourth quarter under, you know, uh, with the game on the line. There was another one earlier this year, too. And uh, just unable to do it. They
1: put up a stat. Um, and this doesn't even count like the ones before the half, but they put up a stat that was like Baker Mayfield is now two and seven um, in kind of got to have it, you know, game winning or tying opportunity drives late in the game, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Um, are we sure that's true? Because that's actually not bad. Two Historic. and seven? That's two and seven is not bad. I mean, it's not good. It's I, mean, most, bad. I mean, Most quarterbacks are probably in that. Right, good quarterbacks are better than that, but most quarterbacks are. In but that that's range.
1: not even counting the ones like before the half, like where they screwed one up earlier in this season, where they had the same opportunity before the half and just again immediate implosion, no shot whatsoever. But so convinced was I, I was like, oh, I got to write that down for the show tomorrow. Um, but in my brain, it was like, well, he's two and seven. This is literally before the first play of that drive had happened. Two and seven, write it down for the show. But he'll be two and eight. Tomorrow, so I'll write that down instead. Just wrote down the the fact that he was going to screw up this drive as well, and immediately, you know, four plays later, it's like, yeah, there we go. It's just there's you have no confidence, zero, of him executing these drives right now, and it's not all him. As you say, there was one pass to Jarvis Landry. It's like it's one of the few plays that Baker Mayfield has actually put in the right place today. You can't help the guy out and adjust to it, you know, with a back shoulder, but it's just I I don't know how much of Baker Mayfield's play right now is the fact that like 80% of the man's body is broken. Like he's ending these drives yesterday and then like hobbling his way to the sideline like he's some kind of, you know, military victim, you know, just crawling his way out of battle. It can't be helping. But he's, he's just not playing well enough to win or execute or just be functional at this point. There's so many throws that leave his hands and you're like, oh, that's just... You can't be off by three yards in the NFL, right? If you're off by three yards in the NFL, you're putting it into a defender's hands. It's one, you know. You think that's all his injury, though? That's what I'm saying. I don't know how much of it is, but when a guy can't, like, leave the field without hobbling as if he's some kind of crash victim, it's got to be part of it. And there's so many throws where, you know, perfectly clean pocket, no pressure, fine fundamentals, footwork's there, and the ball's three yards over its intended guy's head. That can't be just, like... Nobody in the NFL is that inaccurate as a baseline, and yet Baker is right now.
0: He's now going through a three-game a three stretch where he's graded 52 or below. Um, but, you know, he was fine in week nine against the Bengals. Remember, remember the Bengals who just cr- killed the Steelers. Uh, the Browns did that to the Bengals a few weeks ago. That was the the first game without OBJ where we are like, all right, Baker Mayfield's fixed, right? No OBJ, spreads around, and he's comfortable. Um, and that's why I have – and I know, like, the injuries keep coming back and there's new ones and the whole thing. But that's kind of, like, part of the package, too. We'll talk about that with Stafford and the Rams. It's kind of part of the package. It's part of the decision-making, right? I, th- I Part of the reason why Baker Mayfield is hurt is because of the way he plays and his decisions and the way he takes hits in the pocket. Like, you can't make – you can't juke a defender in the pocket. Big Ben did this, too. You can't, like, move backwards in the pocket and not expect to get popped, right? And Baker was doing that again last night. It's all part of the package. And, look, I know this was prime time. And, uh, you know, if you if you just read Twitter right after the game, it's like, all right, let's, you know, this is the only thing I've seen this season about this team. Um, and let's project it forward. If, if front office decisions were made just off primetime games, Can you even see the Browns bringing Baker Mayfield back after this, right? Do they have confidence? Do they chalk it up as a loss? Because at some point, they're going to say, if I'm going to pay the guy, injuries or not, I want to believe that he's going to make a comeback, that he's going to carry us every now and again. When we trade, when we get rid of OBJ, when we have an injury at tight end, when we have an injury at right tackle, at some point, we want our quarterback to carry us. And I don't know if Baker's ever done that outside, you know, again, a four-year career, we had stretches of awesome play as a rookie, great stretch of play last year, and you know they figured out the system and all that stuff. You just don't know what you're going to get from Baker Mayfield every week, except that he's probably not going to get the job done under pressure in the fourth quarter.
1: I think there's a very difficult um, <clears throat> decision that teams need to make when it comes to like, at what point is your not 100% healthy slash injured player actually not worth putting out there? Because like, those guys always battle through this kind of stuff and will play if you let them. So at what point do you need to save them from themselves and say, you know what, it's great that you're willing to gut this out and go out there and try and get it done anyway, but you're so banged up right now that it's actually not worth the effort. So Baker Mayfield is clearly going to play this year throughout whatever injuries he has and just try and get it done. But where, where is in the spectrum of you know, what percent healthy does he need to be for him to be a worse option than Case Keenum. And we've seen this from Stafford for years as well, like Stafford will gut it out through whatever injury he's playing, Cam Newton has always done that as well, like he'll go out there and play, regardless of how banged up he is, and he'll play badly because of it. Like at what point as a team do you need to say, enough's enough, you're not playing because you're not healthy enough, and therefore you're not, like it's not fair to you, aside from anything else. and. It's one thing when you're Cam Newton and your backup is awful and there's just literally no other option. It's like, okay, we understand you're going to play badly, but the alternative is some terrible quarterback and we just have to live with that. But if you're Baker Mayfield, one, the alternative is Case Keenum, who is one of the better backup quarterbacks in the NFL, and there is a crossover point where bad, busted up Baker Mayfield is probably worse than Case Keenum, and given the last three weeks, we've got to be close to that. And two... Baker Mayfield, in theory, is playing for his next contract right now. And, it's so, I mean, you're the team, so you're negotiating on the other side. But at some point, don't you owe the guy? Like, all you're doing right now is costing yourself money. And it's not even fair to you. Like, dude, just sit down. It's not worth it. We're you know, not going anywhere I mean, this year.
0: You're busted. Stop to stop this so you're making the decision for me because what you described well cam newton's banged up every year and matthew stafford's banged up every year then i don't want to invest in that i can't but invest but in why that why is on it team. every
1: year like it might just be this year the dude has got a torn labrum and has had that since week two it's not happening it's not healing until you get off season because surgery. a big
0: part of it is playing
1: style right but on top of that he's bang he's getting injured with everything else so, like sit down you're not you're not getting healthy now you're just you're sinking deeper and deeper week on week you're going to get yourself further and further hurt and the worse you get, the worse we get. So this is not helping anybody at this point. Because
0: I, I, think, I, th- I don't think it's bad evidence. I think it's good evidence. I mean, you talk about Big, big Ben was hurt all the time. He, was, he played through it. I mean, he can't now. He always played through it, his career. He'd miss a game here and there. He would play through it, and he'd be fine. Andrew Luck was hurt for a big chunk of his career. There were times where it really affected him. There was time he missed two full seasons. Um, it eventually caught up. I think this is evidence that you use. Can you play hurt? Can you play through all that? And we're just we're not seeing that. But there's
1: diff- like play hurt is different to can you get it? Can you play with a completely torn labrum in your shoulder for a whole season? I would imagine the answer to that for almost every quarterback in the league is hell no. Of course I can. it like it's a shoulder? That's a fairly important part of throwing the ball. I understand it's my non-throwing shoulder, but you know it's part of the whole deal. Of course I can't play through that. Well, like I don't I don't think that's a fundamental. Uh, I don't think that's fundamental evidence of any time he's suffering any form of injury, he's going to be useless to you. I think it's just the dude is way too banged up right now to be a functional quarterback, so why are we still asking him to be that? Either
0: way, um, when the Browns don't run the ball, it is really tough for them to move the ball. They only... Picked up 40 yards on 17 carries. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb both averaged under three yards per carry. So the Ravens did a really good job up front. Patrick Queen flying around making plays last night for the Ravens. Um, The other thing I was thinking about when I'm watching this Browns offense is they – we missed this point maybe along the way. They really could use a true number one wide receiver. Um, OBJ just was never that guy right like this offense could just use a much better receiver Jarvis Landry did have a couple big catches Baker did have a couple nice downfield throws but a a lot of those gotta have it need somebody to just win type of play as you don't have that receiver they wanted OBJ to be that guy um, but he just isn't that guy anymore so Brown's certainly in the receiver market this offseason as well but the offense just struggling with no run game defensively Lamar Jackson had four interceptions, three of which were just probably all on him, really bad. Um, Some of his passes were just way off. Um, He ends up carrying the ball 17 times for 68 yards, Um, and it's one of those where you know the speed speed doesn't slump type of deals. You know, like you can have not that scoring 16 points is good for the Ravens but even with lamar passing the ball so horribly he could still add value some value to the offense with the run game and that's what he did in this one um a little bit i mean it's The Browns' defense was fantastic, though, overall.
1: I think both defenses were really good. Um, Obviously, the Browns were were creating some of those turnovers. A lot of them, they were just the beneficiary of a turnover that they didn't even need to create. It was more an unforced error than a forced error. Um, Baltimore's defense, in particular, against Cleveland's run offense, did really good. They just stacked the box. Like, almost all, what did they add? The Browns had uh, 12 of their 17 rush attempts were against eight or more men in the box like they just loaded up the box and said you're not running against it when they lost Jack Conklin you know that's one of their best run blockers up front as well they just couldn't get anywhere uh, on the ground Um, and all of a sudden again then the onus is on Baker Mayfield and we've already talked about how that's not happening at that point you're right the the lack of a number one receiver is a big part of that also you know they run one of those trick plays and last time they did that Jarvis Landry scrambled turned into a touchdown out of nowhere this time, he turned
0: it into a fumble. Scrambles around, trying to make a play.
1: Yeah, and that was another one of those, you're like, why do you not, like, pocket awareness from a wide receiver is probably a little bit much to ask for, but Jarvis Landry's a guy that ran like a four eight forty, and he doesn't think he's going to get chased down running out of the pocket. Like, come on. At some point, you need to be aware that a dude is coming from behind to tackle you, and you have no shot of actually running away from him. Like, that was Baker Mayfield levels of unawareness. Um, so that didn't help, but yeah, both defenses did a really good job um, against against what the opposing offense was trying to do. And the key with Lamar is even when he's throwing the ball to defenders or creating turnovers out of nothing, when the game when there's a couple minutes left in the game and all you need to do is like keep the drive going to to get it's so hard to just stop him gaining yards because they're going to use him as part of the run game. They're going to start running those option things. And all they need, if it's four down territory, like all they need is three yards each time. Like It's so hard to prevent that guy getting three yards when yeah. he wants to.
0: Are we starting to see, though, that maybe the Ravens system isn't as uh, running back proof as, as maybe we thought? Devontae Freeman... You know, Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray just have not been nearly as productive as recent Ravens running Ravens running backs. Is this the league adjusting schematically as you uh, you know kind of doing the same thing that the Ravens did to the Browns? You know, stack in the box. What Miami did, stack in the box, zero blitz type of stuff. I'm just making sure that there's no place to run, no place to escape for Lamar. Is that team's selling out to stop the run, or the fact that they, you know, did spend a second-round pick on J.K. Dobbins a couple of years ago, and uh, really, you know, Gus Edwards averaging you know over five yards per carry, like those guys weren't just a product of the system. And they're right to say, look, we could use a we could use a good running back in this system with as much as we're running. Even with Lamar in a decent run-blocking offensive line, they're just not nearly as productive in the run game as they've been in recent years.
1: I mean, I think the offensive line is a big part of it, though. Like, look at the run-blockers now compared with when this offense was at its peak, and it's just not the same. Like, every, even the additions, all the new offensive linemen or veterans that they brought over, they're not really run-blockers. Like, in this game, the great Alejandro Villanueva had a run-blocking grade of, like, 50. Yeah. Um... Guys like Kevin Zeitler, who's been a really good addition to this offense, is a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. Um, they, they, they just don't have the horse. Like, there's no Marshall Yanda. Yanda's out there, you know, as part of the pregame routine, doing whatever he was doing. Um, there's no Marshall Yanda on this offense anymore. And that, that is a major difference to what this offense was able to do on the ground when he was there and when they had this great run blocking offensive line.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Villanueva on pace for his uh, worst grade since his rookie season, or his first year actually starting at tackle uh, years ago. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not. Zeitler and Villanueva are big names, depending on who you're listening to. They're good, solid players, but not the skill set that the Ravens usually covet on the offensive line. And
1: um, I'm, I'm, this is understanding that Villanueva's grades this year are actually better in the run game than the pass game like he has been a better run blocker than pass protector this year but you still wouldn't trust him it's not the same as having like an Orlando Brown out there who you know is just like right. bulldozing whoever's in front of him for that rush, rush attack uh,
0: by the way uh, JOK by the way I just man he is fun I remember saying at draft time and tweeted it last night talked about it in the other podcast too, right? Did they draft JOK just for this game? Just to be like, all right, we're going to take Lamar out. Uh, You don't really draft just for two games a year in your division, but you do kind of draft with your division in mind. And in this division, the Bengals wanting to run the ball, Ravens certainly wanting to run the ball, Uh, the Browns added a ton of speed, and JOK coming back off of his injury, you just still see that he's not rusty at all I mean his speed is incredible tracked down Lamar a couple times they did use him as a spy you can use him as a pass rusher he blitzed 10 times yesterday but solid grades across the board for JOK an absolute weapon for that Browns defense
1: he is the player that people thought Patrick Queen was and not just Patrick Queen because he actually had a pretty good game yesterday even if it was a fairly stark outlier from the rest of his career so far but you can trace this like sequence of nfl linebackers that the league has been looking for for like a decade patrick queen jalen smith uh isaiah simmons there's this whole world of these guys that are freaky athletes you know incredible speed great in space and almost none of them have ended up being good and you know Quan alexander there's just millions of these dudes almost all of them are from lsu by the way for some reason um But JOK is the guy. Like, he's the one where from day one it looks like he – I mean, even this year, uh, Jamin Davis, similar idea, right? Freaky, speed, size, all this kind of stuff just doesn't play the same way. JOK is the one guy who's hit the ground running and it just plays like a million miles an hour, goes as soon as he sees something,
0: has zero hesitation, and it works. Yeah, and he was supposed to maybe have a slower transition because he was playing a different – position at Notre Dame but he hasn't at all and I think you know credit the Browns for putting him in that position to just see it and fly to the ball so that's been fun Um, I would say the Ravens survive credit their defense for what they did to slow down the Browns rushing attack as you said and then uh, defensively you know look for whatever you want to say about Mayfield there weren't a ton of open throws there was like two open downfield throws early in the game or throughout the game Ravens were locking down all of the Browns receivers for the most part so uh, Ravens are sitting atop the AFC Number one seed at the moment at 8-3. and three. Poor, But it's uh, tight. Poor Jack Conklin. I know. Do Jack Conklin's his, out again. see
1: his knee like, give way when he was walk,
0: trying to walk off the field? Yes. That's got to suck. Yeah, they were supposed to cart him. Uh, Kevin Stefanski said st- a significant knee injury. He's well, coming yeah. off what? Torn? He was coming a off a biceps injury thing, or, yeah, or something? Something upper body. So I think Conklin's probably out for the season. Yes. I mean, you, do, for you the Browns. He doesn't do that unless there's something missing from it. Right. So... Uh, Yes, definitely. I mean, he's and he's a huge part of that really good rushing attack that the Browns have. I can't even imagine how
1: much that sucks. By the way, to have like something give way in your knee, whatever about normal people, but when you weigh 330 pounds, or whatever, that's gotta that's gotta really suck. Oh yeah, when you're
0: when you're our weight, you know, you're <laughs> it's just just more pressure on those joints. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I, I do. I mean, not personally, obviously, because I'm not I don't weigh 330, but uh, in spirit. I get it. It only took us 40 minutes to get through those two. Perfect. We're right on pace here today. (laughs) Uh, we got a great deal for everybody right now. Working from home is more important than ever, and you can optimize your home office with an X-chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Don't fast-forward right now. Listen to this deal, and you can see it on the screen. $500 on the line here. $500? Yes, $500 off. Once you feel the customized support of the X-chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, there's no going back. That's the DVL. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for the X-chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, x-chair fits any space high performance quality engineering it's extreme comfort as well all the reasons i love my x-chair which i use at home at my home office look at that thing on youtube the massaging the heating the cooling it's all there so i love working from home because of my x-chair so now's the perfect time to purchase an x-chair and why is that because as i said it's the only time x-chair goes on sale all year that's right it's on black friday cyber monday weekend so it's Cyber Monday right now, and you could save up to $500 on X-Chair, four days only, on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Go to XChairNFLPod.com now. That's the letter X, Chair, NFL com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $25 a month. Go to XChairNFLPod.com and save up to $500, XChairNFLPod.com. If you're watching on YouTube, you can check out the link in the description it took me about 10 minutes to put this thing to, uh, together as well so you to be clear get it going this is a
1: specific $500 off for our link for our podcast just we, our link we yeah. are saving you $500 for this thing Yes. that has a 30 day money back guarantee you try it for free essentially for 30 days get $500 off because you're a listener to our podcast and the chair's awesome it's comfortable yeah. easy to put together even for a you know idiot like you um it's perfect this is Go get, go go do it. Go deal.
0: Yeah, go do it right now. XchairNFLpod.com. We need to get them. this thing's a high-end chair, which right. is why we can give you five hundred dollars.
1: We need to figure out like the studio thing here, so that instead of sitting on these bar stools, we get X chairs.
0: Yeah, because I think it elevates enough. I don't think it elevates this much. I mean, we are sitting pretty high in these things. We'll just. Push the table down. Push or the, the table fingers. down. I would much rather you. sit in my X chair than that's what I'm saying. anything else. I don't but, know that pushing
1: this. the table down is the solution to the problem, though. we need a bar stool uh, X chair adjustment? Bar stool height? Well, yeah, some kind of platform maybe for the chair to sit on as opposed to trying to squish the table that's, say, you know, wood. I don't think that's going to work.
0: Titans-Patriots, the uh, Patriots pull away. To win thirty-six to thirteen, uh, it felt like in this one. So the Patriots maintain first place in the AFC East. They are rolling right now, hottest team in the NFL. As we mentioned earlier, you know they've got uh, first place on the line against the Bills next week.
1: What? This. <laughs> Somebody in the uh, somebody in the YouTube chat was saying an idea for the charity drive is to shave your head if we reach twenty thousand dollars, which I think was lower than the figure you quoted. Because I've asked you that before. Like, probably well, fifty. Well, what probably would it take 50. to shave the noggin? And I think you've quoted much higher than twenty. It'd right? have
0: to be fifty. It'd go to my friends at Heritage House. I would I would probably shave it for that if we wow. got to fifty.
1: That's a hell. Of, I mean, that's that's a, that's a weird and impressive commitment to that haircut what I mean it's all right it just, it, it's just it's good a hair it's an incredible it's good c- hair. it's an incredible commitment to that hair it's good hair like it would take you high five figures to shave that off because to be honest it's worth yeah. about sixteen dollars uh, my haircuts are way more
0: than that though no no I know that but it's worth about sixteen dollars I what do you mean I could keep a whole family warm with my hair that gets cut off it's very valuable well I and mean, what so my hair is very v- valuable. You can turn it into like blankets and stuff like that. Anyway, let's talk about this game. I don't know why you're talking about my hair and haircuts and all that it was stuff. it's in the chat box. I do it for 50. 36 to 13. Dollars? $1,000. <laughs> Titans run for 270 yards.
1: Oh, look at this. I got another one right. Oh, you did, huh? Yeah.
0: Oh, I did too. Did you add them up right? Because I'm going to roll right now. Do I go 0-4 for the next? Yeah, I don't think you got many after okay. this. So, uh, New England continues uh, to dominate. I think uh, – so, what are your thoughts on this game? 36-13. to 13, To me, it felt like the Titans were doing everything they could. An outmanned Titans team doing yeah. everything they could to keep it close, keep it close, keep it close, and they just couldn't do it. New England, uh, healthier, rolling, and – the Titans, you know, again, their their injuries and inability to just throw the ball in recent weeks is starting to catch up.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you the the Titans had three wide receivers on the active roster in this game, they had you know they were the running backs like Dontrell Hilliard, my guy, is was
0: like their primary weapon in the backfield. They just, what do we expect the, from them? The other perspective. If you were a New England fan, you'd say, yeah, it was kind of a freak play. Dontrell Hilliard breaks through the line for a 68-yarder before the half as New England. Like, New England kept trying to pull away, trying to pull away. You're kind of expecting it. Titans would make a key stop, force a field goal, key stop, force a field goal. Dontrell Hilliard runs for a 68-yarder. And it's like, wow, the Titans might be able to pull this off again. They might be able to do it again. This is what they've been doing all season, uh, just coming up big when they really shouldn't but they didn't you know new england new england was just too much in this one yeah they just at
1: some point you've run out of too many players you're you're dealing with not enough and the titans just literally did not have enough weaponry here to hang with with the new england patriots and look the patriots rode some luck as well like that play to kendrick bourne where he just for some reason the entire titans defense just decided no we're not gonna bother tackling him we're just gonna let him go um so that can kind of offset your Hilliard play where it's like one random play that shouldn't have happened for either defense. But, I mean, as much as the Patriots don't have the best weapons in the world, like it's night and day the difference between what they were able to deploy and what the Titans were able to deploy. It's basically but, Ryan Tannehill trying to operate with a preseason like second string.
0: But the sum of New England's parts are good. And yeah. this is where, look, we spent I spent all offseason saying this, this, this better pay off. For New England, this investment in Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, John New Smith, and Hunter Henry had better payoff. And this is one of those games where it did. Kendrick Bourne contested catch in the end zone. I don't even think it was a great throw. That thing's broken up, you know, 98% of the time over Kevin Byard. Uh, Bourne just, I think it was Kevin Byard, right? Yeah. Um, Bourne just went. He wins. had his hand in there. Like it's That's actually, what I mean. Like when his really... hand is in between the the receiver in the ball.
1: From Bayard's point of view, it's really unlucky that that was caught. He had his hands between the arms of, of Bourne, and usually you then, you know, you rip it out and it's gone. Yeah. When he went to rip, it was right at the time Bourne kind of shifted it from one hand, to, to or from two hands to the one hand, which was the like the side that that uh, Bayard wasn't trying to rake. It's like a perfect play from Bourne, really unlucky from Bayard. Um, and just like the, again, like the millimeter details of the difference between scoring and not
0: yeah and, and that's what i'm saying like, in a game like this where Bourne makes that incredible contested catch runs up the sideline for another touchdown he produced uh John U. smith they use you know getting the ball to him in space you let, let him create after the catch at a nine yard carry in there as well jacoby myers always seems to just get open uh agalor and hunter henry had a couple catches and all that stuff but you've uh, brandon bolden you know <laughs> rejuvenated again with 54 receiving yards it's just another like old-school, classic Patriots, ton of contributors, and in this particular case, it's a lot of the guys that they invested in, and I think you're, they're starting to see that come to fruition. The other difference, I think, for this New England team versus last year, the rushing attack was just okay in this game. Last year, it seemed like they could only win when they had the run game going. With Cam Newton under center, there weren't many games, if any, where... The run game wasn't there, and they won it with the pass game. And I keep going back to, you know, I like to go back to preseason takes. What's the difference in the Patriots this year? They can win without the run game. They can win with defense plus the passing attack. So Mac Jones throws for over 300 yards. A lot of that is what we're saying. Kendrick Bourne after the catch or winning at the catch point or Jacoby Myers getting over. They did a really nice job. Winning through the air when they couldn't do that a year ago, and that's why they put up 36 points and, you know, pull away late. Can you explain how the ball finds J.C. Jackson? No, that was ridiculous. Another interception for him.
1: But like, so. Just tips backwards to him. He's another one of these players that is clearly. He's a ball hawk style of corner. He has very good ball skills. He can catch an interception that's thrown in his general direction and and break on the ball. There there are a lot of corners that just can't do that, right? They don't have the skills that even when they're in reasonable position to catch it, you you know, there's a pretty good chance they're not going to. JC Jackson will usually catch those. On the other hand, but he also has what feels like a massively disproportionate amount of balls that just land in his lap from completely random... Nothing to do with good play. You know what I mean? Like, it's tipped or it's a ridiculous read by the quarterback and he just is standing there when somebody fires it at his face. This was another one. Like, Devin McCordy, I think, got his hand on the ball. And like, in the back of the end zone, nowhere near the play, it just lands in J.C. Jackson's hands. It's like, another pick for the dude that just has so many picks. I don't understand how there are these corners that seem to get that luck.
0: Yeah, I don't either. There's, there's not much. Um... Look, I mean, at some point, uh, over time, you're just like, okay, it's – it's over time, it's probably skill, but there are individual plays like this where it's like, okay, you just – you're a ball magnet. It's J.C. Yeah. But uh, New England's – But
1: there are also players that go through a
0: run of that and it, like, never comes back again. Yo, J.C. Jackson's on, like, a three-year run here.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. It's It's a weird – like, who was the – Jarius Bird. Remember, there's, like, a season and a half where the ball would just land in Jarius Bird's hands – Constantly, And then
0: Jerry Spurt disappeared from the face of the earth and was never the same player again. Yeah. Uh, New England's pass defense continues to be really good. Just tough to move the ball on them. Again, the Titans did everything they could with some explosive runs and the whole deal, but uh, just they they couldn't move the ball when they needed to. They were just outmanned. Uh, Mac Jones on his side it actually wasn't his cleanest game. It was a great game statistically. Wasn't one of his cleanest games. A few misses, key third down misses. Had a turnover where they play in there as well. Um, But again, here's the difference with the Patriots. Mac Jones, about a 53 passing grade. If that happened last year, they don't have a shot at winning. They just don't. New England does not have a shot last year if the quarterback doesn't play well. Now, they do. Even with Mac Jones not having one of his better games, and he'd been playing a really clean brand of football in recent weeks. He doesn't have to have his best game for the Patriots to win because this defense is playing lights out. And, again, the playmakers can take over or the run game can take over. The Patriots have multiple ways to win. It will all be put to the test against the Bills, what, two out of the three next week, so uh, exactly next three exactly. weeks. But uh, New England is as hot as any team right now. You you buying in that they've they've got a legit shot at this number one seed? Yeah. Uh, I think they'll get it. You do think, your playoff sim again? You need to do I've done sim? it since this week. No, I
1: haven't run, you this, redo I haven't it every run week. the single simulation again. Um, New information has come to light. I do think that they whacked up really well with Buffalo, though, and that the fact that Buffalo won this week and the way they won is not necessarily that important. I mean, it's, it's important for them in terms of they got another win, they kind of closed the gap on New England again or kept pace with them. However way you want to phrase it, it was an important win from them in that perspective. But in terms of the, like, there is a clear blueprint on both sides of the ball to beat Buffalo, I don't know that they answered any of those questions in that game because the Saints just didn't have the capacity to run those game plans, whereas I think New England absolutely does.
0: Yeah, the uh, it's going to be great. New England moves to eight and four. So, um, by the way, it's really weird. They used to get all the buys out of the way before Thanksgiving, right? And then after Thanksgiving... Nobody has buys in December, and uh, the Patriots haven't had their bye week yet, which is uh, it's odd to me, this late in the season.
1: And Eric has been making the point that teams with light bye weeks have had a good record of like Super Bowl runs recently, so another, another notch in the, uh, the New England case.
0: Yeah, so they've, they've got a chance at a, um, at a legit run here.
1: Ryan Tannehill is there a better example of like how important environment is around a quarterback than Ryan Tannehill at the moment like when Derek Henry's there when AJ Brown is there when they've got receivers Ryan Tannehill is grading as basically the best quarterback in the NFL but even if there was always an understanding that you know he was being buoyed a little bit by the offense and by
0: the guys around him all of a sudden there's nobody left and Ryan Tannehill's grading in the 40s wouldn't I would rather my uh, my A-B analysis there being lose Derrick Henry, but keep Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. I would have liked to see that. But that is a, I, literally his th- the three dudes that they spent yeah. the offseason building their offense around are
1: all hurt. Well, we've gone from, like, one extreme to the other, which is really good environment. Tannehill all of a sudden goes from Miami Tannehill to, like, the best-graded quarterback in the NFL. And then you take away all of that, and you go back to Miami circumstances, and Tannehill goes right back to Miami Tannehill. Like, this is... The grade he had in this game is basically where he was grading at the end of his Miami tenure, only nobody's really noticed because we still appreciate him as being quite a good Ryan Tannehill again. But, like, that's what we're talking about when we talk about quarterback environments. If you are in a crappy situation, and this is relevant to Trevor Lawrence, to, like, Justin Fields earlier in the season, to like these quarterbacks that are struggling right out of the gate – look at the things around them, and then say, what should we reasonably expect from this guy, given what he's surrounded by? Ryan Tanhill is living proof that you can play at an all-pro level or a disaster, depending on what's around you, in essentially exactly the
0: same team. I think that's going to be... I really think that's going to be more important than ever going forward. And again, I'll keep, I'll keep referencing the post-Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, Peyton, Big Ben... Phillip Rivers, this era where they were pretty distinct top quarterbacks. I don't know that we're – especially if Mahomes keeps – you know, remains coming back down to earth the way he has. We're going to see this world in the NFL where the quarterback's always going to be the trump card. It's always going to be the most important element. But I think the supporting cast is going to be elevated even further because I don't think there's a massive difference. If Mahomes goes back to otherworldly level, that's different. But beyond him, we might see – much less separation between the top quarterbacks here, and environment is going to be the key for any team. Stocking up on playmakers and play callers and the whole deal. Um, so, again, New England rolls 36-13 in this one. got to tell you about our friends over at DraftKings. We all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. That's it. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings daily fantasy sports contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required one. For customer restrictions, apply to DraftKings.com sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I don't know how long these deals are going to last, but this is another... No brainer, as they said. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook bet just one dollar on any team to score, and you can win hundred dollars in free bets. All right, where are we going to go here? Let's talk. Uh, let's talk Jets. Let's stay in the AFC East here, okay? Jets, Houston. Jets win twenty-one to fourteen in Zach Wilson's return. Uh, your cheat code, Tyra, oh, Of course, there we go. You finally, uh, you finally lost one here. Mm. You bet on Tyrod. Did. And uh, he had the, he had the bomb to Brandon Cooks. Yep. A little freak interception. Yep. By uh, that didn't help. Franklin Myers. Yep. And secret uh, superstar Franklin Myers. Super secret superstar for uh, for those in England watching the Jets this past year. Uh, what'd you think of this game? Um, I mean the, it, yeah it was.
1: I think the Texans probably should have won. They had a good lead established. They were in good position, even with that ridiculous, like, batted interception that almost turned into a pick six from Franklin Myers. And then they just couldn't stop the Jets' ground game. Like, the, the Jets established the run all of a sudden, and the Texans couldn't stop it for basically the entire second half. And that was basically it. Like, Zach Wilson still looked terrible. It <laughs> just came back, same old story making a bunch of problems or making a bunch of bad plays. Even some of the plays that were sort of freaky bad luck were just comically, like, it just fit into the whole narrative of this is tragic. Like, starts to scramble up the middle. His one interception. sees his running back, uh... Oh, flixing, look at this. We
0: got a – there
1: you go. We got a still. Like flicks in the ball to dump it off. Only the exact moment he's decided to do that, the running back has decided that, oh, look, my quarterback's scrambling. I'll turn around and block for him. And it hits him like in the back of the head and bounces to somebody for an interception. It's like, this, okay, that this is, still. that's just unlucky, right? It's just bad – it's just a freak accident of timing where this happens all the time where you're out running and the guys around you have to make this decision of – When do I go from I'm a receiving option for the quarterback to I need to turn and block for him because he's going to scramble. And he just just decided to throw the ball to the running back at the exact moment the running back had decided it it was time to flip from one to the other. But it was objectively hilarious. And that's kind of where we are with Zach Wilson now. Like, he's just descended into this parody of a quarterback.
0: Hey, guys. Life is full of questions. Like, what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few? No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. That particular still that we were seeing was him flipping the ball off the running back's back, which bounced up for? The interception. The yeah. interception, right, that you just described. Um, I'll say the, he had two other turnover-worthy plays, and I'm trying to figure out how much of this is on Elijah Moore as well. Um, Wilson, I don't think, played well at all, but he, uh, he's got a slant – to Elijah Moore twice, where Moore kind of drifts up the field and does not – Zach and Bruce, our two you know old QB guru and new one, would always say receivers being friendly for their quarterback. And Elijah Moore didn't seem like he was creating a friendly target for his quarterback. He was almost running this – I don't know if he was running a slant seam, but he was kind of running the seam. I don't know. Something was off on both of them. One was off an RPO where Zach's a little bit late and receiver has a chance to – DB has a chance to pick it off. Another one is when Wilson pulls it down, scrambles, and he fumbles, which is bad by Zach Wilson. I'm just saying, when you talk about situation, there's also little stuff like that, where the guy you're supposed to throw it to is, just, is either not running the route right or not creating a friendly target, and then you've got to do something else. Now, I'm not saying fumble it. I'm not saying throw it into the leverage of the defensive back. But I still think there's work to do with the actual situation around Zach Wilson. I think more importantly for him, I'm watching him and I'm just thinking, I know we just got back to practice, but I'm like, has he practiced? Has he been coached? His footwork on just easy stuff is atrocious. And that, that was the case earlier in the year. But I mean, overthrowing passes to the flat, I, I, I cannot believe, I, I know I know the preseason's different from the regular season, Sam. Good. I know it's completely different. It's a good step. I just can't believe how different he looks from preseason to regular season. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, for all the positives that we said that we saw from him in the preseason, pretty much looks the same pre to regular season. Speed of processing and all that stuff. Zach Wilson is like a completely different player where you saw processing speed in the preseason. You saw just commitment to making, th- you know, making the thrill right away. You saw accuracy. The footwork wasn't atrocious. I mean, those things have completely changed. And that's not like, oh, it's just a vanilla defense. It's all against backups. Your, your footwork, look at that. <laughs> Sam was coughing and yeah, nobody cough even buttons. heard it. It's nobody beautiful. even heard it because of the cough button. They're back. It's beautiful. They're here. Only two years in the making. It's a mute button. I can run over and mute you anytime I want. Run over? Yeah, just right around the table. It would happen quick. Yeah. I'm nimble. They cover me up with a full screen. Um, so with Zach Wilson, I just can't believe how different he looks. Fundamentally, not performance, not stats or anything like that, fundamentally from the preseason to the regular season.
1: Yeah, it, it looks it, – that was the thing. In preseason, it was amazing just how comfortable and easy and natural it all looked. Now everything is a struggle. And as tends to be the way in the NFL, when things go badly, they have a habit of really – spiraling and even when things are like even when he does something right it ends up going badly so it was one play where he evaded pressure got out put the ball in the back of the end zone and his tight end couldn't come up with it you're like it feels you know even when that was a tough catch though it was but like it's come on the dude nothing is going right for the man like in the one play where he actually does something and puts it in a position where you might come up with it come up with it like what that's your job that guy's dealing with a lot. All you need to do is come up with that ball. That guy's dealing with a lot. You know, just help the dude out
0: once. I um, mean, Braxton Berrios helped him. I would have hit a 46-yarder on a little little hitch route. That was the only offense the Jets created. Yeah, true. Uh, Robert Sala had a couple. Uh, the, one, the one good throw I thought Zach, Zach Wilson did make, fourth and five in Texans territory, little timing route on the, on the dig. Uh, ball location wasn't great, but he threw it early and he got got it there to convert it. Um, and then the uh, what was it? fourth and one that the Jets converted as well, and and went for and you know in Houston territory with the game on the line and they get it. And that was huge as well. So I thought there was a couple fourth down decisions by Robert Sala that ended up yeah. you know being the difference in the game here, being aggressive late.
1: Yeah, I mean that I, those are. You have to do that, right? If you're the Jets, you, I mean, okay, you're only playing the Texans, so it's not quite the same as playing most other teams in the NFL, but you know, you're a bad team right now. You know, you're hemorrhaging points. You can't do that all, kick it away and play defense kind of thing. Cause generally, even as a defensive coach, cause your defense has been getting gashed by everybody this season. So go for it, be aggressive, try and maximize those win uh, percentage points and score. And they did.
0: So Jets went 21-14. to 14. I don't think there's anything else to no. say here. I think um, at some point, maybe on our Wednesday show, having like a little rookie QB. People love talking about the rookie QBs, but having a little assessment of all of them at this point might make sense, right? Have a little review of Trevor and Zach Wilson, Fields, whatever we've seen from Trey Lance and Mac Jones. The misery show is what you're, you're pitching here. Yeah. I mean, I think we should we should at least have a, a little assessment of, of where they're at, what they need to work on. We'll spend some off season time there too, but uh, clearly we're seeing the situations uh, weren't great, haven't been great for those QBs at the top. Saw it again yesterday with Zach Wilson. Uh, another AFC East team, Miami Dolphins, thirty three to ten over the Carolina Panthers. The AFC East went four and zero this week in all of their games. Uh, Cam Newton goes five for twenty one passing. He had four batted passes and five completions in this game. Meanwhile, Tua on the other side with an average depth of target of about four goes 27 for 31 for 230. Just a lot of completions for Tua. Now it's second in the NFL in completion percentage in that short passing game. But uh, it wasn't all just dink and dunk. He had a couple nice throws in there. Fumble that he'd probably want back. Not, not navigating the pocket as well as he had before. Both offensive lines were uh, rough. In this game,
1: yeah, um, which makes sense <laughs> given as talent, expected, given the talent that they have. The Tua is making this a really interesting and difficult decision for Miami, like what they do going forward. Because um, he's not—it's not like he's playing particularly well, but he's not playing badly either. And we just talked about like how important environment is for a quarterback. Tua's environment sucks. Like, okay, his receivers are not terrible, and Jalen Waddle had the best game of Waddell his career. Was- fantastic in this game absolutely had the best game of his career looked really good in this game looked incredible had another one of those um, catch and runs where he made a ton of yards after the catch all this kind of stuff but it's the worst offensive line in the nfl by a freaking distance it's it's one of the worst offensive lines we've ever seen
0: not in this game though no but the it's panthers this is one uh, well okay well, finish your thought because i want to talk about how bad the panthers offensive line was Yes,
1: Carolina's offensive line was terrible, but Miami's offensive line is abysmal, and Tua's average time to throw was 2.2 seconds in this game, and he was still under pressure a decent amount. Like, their offensive line is a travesty. Um, So if you're talking about what is the environment around the quarterback in terms of how, how much is it defining his parameters of how good he can be, Tua's offensive line is a crippling millstone around his neck And he's still playing reasonably well, not great, but reasonably well. So, how like that makes it like it's really difficult to try and figure out where his ceiling
0: is. I think the bigger issue here is: Are the Dolphins running this offense because of their offensive line, or because of Tua? Right? Is it are they running this again? Average depth of target of four, and it's a whole bunch of. It's misdirection and little rollouts and screens and flat passes and all that stuff, right? It is all of that, which is, which is good. Again, I, I, yeah, I contradict myself a lot, Sam. I don't know if anybody believes yeah. that here. I contradict myself a lot, like also picking Carolina. That was, that was bad. Uh, I contradict myself and say, hey, hey, offense, go be really aggressive. And then when teams are too aggressive, I say, well, you got to, you got to have the easy stuff too. Obviously, you got to have some sort of balance between the two. I'm wondering, is Miami in this uber conservative mode because they don't trust Tua to throw the ball down the field much? Another game, no real big time throws. Couple good ones though. You know, touchdown to Jalen Waddle with anticipation. Had another deep out in there, I think from the slot. That was just that was like he's capable of making those throws, but you don't want him making more than two. Or, do you just not want him making more than two or three a game? Do you not think he's capable of making more than two or three? Are they running this offense because they have to protect the offensive line or because they have to protect Tua? Because they're going to go into this off season. If they roll with Tua again next year, they're going to try to rebuild this offensive line, presumably the same way the Chargers did last year. Even though they invested, and in one of those guys will probably have a year or three breakout that I'll talk about and all that stuff. They got to go heavy O line because, yeah, I think the playmaker situation is pretty solid. When you see what uh, with a, what a Jalen Waddle did in this situation, if they bring back Mike Geseki when Devontae Parker's healthy, he hasn't been. It's not a bad group, and. um it's just a matter of what can they do behind this line it was the dig route to Waddle which was really nice but I from think, Tua that he turned into a 50 plus I think yard.
1: this is the problem is that this is why I'm saying it's an interesting and difficult decision because yeah. you don't know right the offensive line right now is so bad that there's no way of knowing where Tua's baseline actually is we can see he's playing reasonably well okay however you want to define it right now what we're seeing from Tua um, it's at least intriguing but you've no idea if that's like what is the percentage, if you, if you take him right now, pluck him out of the Dolphins, park him somewhere with just a middle-of-the-road offensive line, what percentage does his baseline go up, right? Yep. Is it 10%? Is it 30%? Is it 60%? You've no clue. So, like, that is a massive variable in this whole evaluation of the most important part of your entire franchise going forward. You spent the number five overall pick on this guy, and right now you literally have no idea how good he is you know he's at least not a completely non-viable train wreck despite the fact that he's got the worst offensive line in the league in front of him but you don't know if he's like below average average above average good you know he's probably not elite based off just the lack of like incredible throws from his game but like they are staring into this situation with zero idea about the most important player on the franchise
0: what if you put him in the brown system or the Niners' assist. What if you made him Jimmy Garoppolo, which he is, Jimmy <laughs> the Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> replacement? I mean, not replacing, but like if you put him into Jimmy Garoppolo situation in San Francisco, I think Tua would look pretty good statistically. Maybe, maybe a little bit better. Anyway, um, Jalen Waddle's game I thought was fantastic. By the way, just to just to reiterate on that, the uh, yeah, you know, the dig route that he took, you know, for a. For a huge gain, it's, it's he just 20. looked fast. I mean, it, it was it was one of the first games where he just looked faster than everybody as we expected. He had six receiving first downs out of sixteen between both teams in this particular game.
1: The strike rate of like receivers in the draft recently has been insane. Like you, you, every year, you go into this and you're like, God, everyone's got their receiver that they love and they think the best in the NFL so draft. For Rager. Yeah. I mean, I didn't say it was perfect. I just right. said it was very good. Um, so everyone's got their receiver that they love, and you get the arguments about what the ranking should be. And, like, the bottom line appears to be that almost all of them are good. Like, the, just the capacity, the, the volume that college football is pumping into the NFL in terms of receiving talent over the last few years has been mental. And, you know, it's we've had the Jamar Chase run of five games or whatever where he was incredible. Uh, Devontae Smith has had a couple of games where he's broken out. There have been all these games and this was Waddle's like game where oh if you were of the opinion that Waddle was the best receiver or the be- the biggest talent in this draft this was your game but there's been one of those for every one of these guys it's it's incredible just the the talent that the college puts into the in the league at that position these days
0: yeah this is the yeah this is why I'm saying if if we can't separate if we don't really know what Tua is versus Jimmy Garoppolo versus Baker Mayfield and all these other guys this is why the investment in playmakers is is so important. We got Ben Stockwell chiming in here. He wants to see Tua in New Orleans. He wants to send him to to Sean Payton. Okay. See if Sean Payton can work that magic with another undersized, average-armed quarterback like a Tua. Anyway, only four incompletions in this one for Tua. Did have a bad fumble in the pocket. Two turnover-worthy plays total. So kind of a weird game for him for a guy that did not have a whole bunch of uh, incompletions. I talked about the... As bad as the Dolphins offensive line has been this year, this might be the worst offensive line performance I've ever seen <laughs> by the Panthers. It really might be. Jalen Phillips looked like Lawrence Taylor out there. all, all In part because they, every time, like when the Dolphins ran a stunt, free run. Yeah. Free run at Cam Newton just, or P.J. Walker. So as much as poor Cam, whatever. I mean, this was just just. Bad. I mean,
1: read the grades. So pass blocking grades right now. The Dolphins had... Uh, six offensive linemen that played a, played 17 or more pass-blocking snaps. The pass-blocking grades of those six, 24.3, 0. Panthers. Yes. Yes, you said Dolphins. Sorry. 24.3, 0, 18.9, 49.9, the high watermark from Taylor Moton, the right tackle. Mot- and
0: Moton's their best. He right. He was their best.
1: Uh, 13.5 and 48. So not a single one of six offensive linemen earned a grade above 50 out of a 0 to 100 scale and one of them had a grade of 0. Yeah, it was
0: just ridiculous. Just domination up front by the Dolphins and just putrid play by the Panthers. So, yeah. uh, Cam Newton goes 5 for 21 and uh, there was a reason for it. There were multiple reasons. It wasn't it. just it wasn't just I mean it's it, you can't really pressure quarterbacks like 60 70% of the time. This is about 50% pressure rate which is 20% above usual Um, but it was quick pressure it was unblocked pressure like I said and then four batted passes by the Dolphins against Cam those those all are five total including one on PJ Walker those all are pass rushing plays as well so the Dolphins pass rush also deserves a ton of credit they were all fantastic up front there was a yeah you're right and then PJ comes in
1: and it's immediately like as bad if not worse right sack and then running out away for pressure interception all these kinds of but I think of the sack, it was Jalen Phillips chasing him out of the pocket, snags him, grabs him to the ground, and, like, clearly face-masked him, right? And the th- uncalled. I didn't see it. Didn't right, see it. neither did the officials, apparently. But my favorite part about it was, as soon as it happened, PJ, like, immediately puts his arms out and is like, where the hell is the flag? I just got taken to the ground by my face mask. And at the exact same moment, Jalen Phillips jumped up and was like, hands in the air. I didn't touch him. Not, not a thing. What are you talking about? I don't... If you're the official and the two players involved immediately have those exact reactions, throw the flag. Like, it happened. Whether or not you saw it or not doesn't really matter. If one dude is 100% convinced that he got fouled and the other guy is immediately protesting that he did nothing, he definitely fouled him. Throw the flag. You can't ref the game based off player reactions. You have to. you got to right? understand the reactions here. You've got to understand it. This is, these are the things. This is veteran savvy if you're an official, right? There's, you know, like, you know, times where they're sort of talking and you're not supposed to use the replay, but you kind of you talk with the officials long enough that they show it on the big screen and go, oh, there, there's the correct decision. Yeah. This is just a version of that, right? You need to understand the other factors and environmental things that go into this decision. You didn't see the face mask. On the other hand, they both reacted in a way that 100% tells you it
0: happened. Yeah. Well, maybe it should have been a face mask. Yeah. Either way, domination up front by the Miami Dolphins. Thirty-three to ten. Dolphins move to five and seven. They're they're both teams five and seven right now. Miami season Coming from different angles, right? Despite like where they were
1: at one point, which was like chasing a number one overall pick at some point in the season, they are not dead in terms of the playoffs yet.
0: Yeah, and they're you know I I thought they'd be around five hundred right. The, the season. I don't I think I they're going to make it, but back there
1: they're interestingly on a
0: charge. Five and seven. Dolphins. Five and seven. Carolina Panthers. We got to go quicker. Let's, so You're Atlanta, telling
1: me we're not going to make our
0: uh, I don't think we're going to do it under two Because there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. Atlanta Falcons, 21. Jacksonville Jaguars, 14. This is not one of the good games to okay. talk about. So we'll just Perfect. sneak it through here. Uh, Falcons win pretty handily. And I'm still underwhelmed with Trevor Lawrence. Matt Ryan had a two-alike average depth of target under four he also in this had particular game. But one the of the real worst key is passes ever.
1: Yeah. Not even like one of the worst passes ever that was in no way dangerous. You know, because there's some really bad passes where you just pitch to a linebacker for a touchdown. But, like, he had a running back out there in the flat somewhere and missed him by about five yards over his head. Like, it's not very often you can look at a, you know, you can look at a a throw that an NFL quarterback makes and genuinely, realistically say, I could have done better than that. I, I would have got closer
0: than Matt Ryan did on that pass. Oh, you're just right. And also, you just, you made contact with one sixty nine mile an hour fastball, and you just got confidence you could do anything. I guarantee I would have got closer than that throw. Under no pressure, just missed him by five yards. Yeah, just another ugly game here. I mean, you talk about what's around people and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Laquan Treadwell was the uh, top receiver for the Jaguars in this one. Yes. I mean, good for him catching 453. Those have to be career highs for Treadwell, right? I can't imagine that they're not. Legitimately <laughs> Just, 4 for 53 might be Treadwell's career highs. Might um, be. I would
1: be, be stunned if they weren't at this point. Look, I'm not researching that. No. Absolutely not. Two points I would like to make about this game, and then we can get the hell out of here. Cordero Patterson's awesome. Yeah, yes. that's one. The Atlanta Falcons had gone 27 consecutive drives without scoring a touchdown. And by the way, those were play; those were drives that Cordero Patterson was injured, not on the field for. All of a sudden, Patterson's immediately back in the lineup. Boom, touchdown to Patterson. Boom, touchdown. Like, the dude is amazing. He's your best player on offense, and he's a guy that, like, half the league is dumped through not being able to figure out how to use. It's, it's actually horrific negligence at this point the fact that multiple teams have not really been able to unlock this guy the Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears, and New England Patriots, we've been inching towards this, but how, is, how has he lasted this far into his career before people realize that he's one of the best playmakers in the league? It's impressive, it's really impressive Number two Actually, let's, let's give a bit, of, a bit of good and a bit of bad, right? Marvin Jones, one of the catches of the season insane one-handed snag, plucks it out of the air beautiful the – so, you know, it's it's an NFL game. There's some, like, pregame entertainment, some kind of things that happen. The Jags uh, mascot did some kind of bungee jump off a crane thing. There you oh, go. pictures for everything. He uh, he got stuck on the bungee, and they had to, like, winch him into the 400 section of the stadium, <laughs> which pretty much sums up Jacksonville's season, right? Jackson DeVille. Yeah. Jackson DeVille does a bungee jump and gets stuck on the crane, and they can't get him down, so they have to, like, lower him into the 400 section of the stadium. Before the game. The good news is there was plenty of room for him to get down. Absolutely. Was, he wasn't going to on any people. Seats. But, like, is, it, does anything sum up Jacksonville's season more than that? No, no. No, it really doesn't, no. right? It's like that kind of sets the stage for the game we're
0: about to have here. But, Jags fans, you can do what I do is always go back. The 1990 Jags will never let you down, at least until the playoffs. Sure. The regular season, they won't let you down. So I go back and watch 99 Jags games. And uh, the Mark Brunel era was fun. Jags fall to two and nine, Falcons uh, up to five and six and still technically hashtag in the hunt in the NFC. Yeah. I believe they have the Bucks next week. And uh gotta do something a little bit better offensively. As much as Cordell Cordero Patterson helps them, only twenty one points against this Jags defense. Uh, speaking of the Bucks, thirty-eight to thirty-one against the Indianapolis Colts, the one thing I wanted to mention, so if you looked at like the the biggest games of the week this being one of them, two really good teams on, from both conferences, Tennessee, New England, uh, I mean Cleveland, Baltimore, Rams, Packers, an insane amount of turnovers. This Packer, uh, this Bucks, colts game was just a turnover fest with fumbles and muffed punts and interceptions and the whole deal. And uh, look, the colts, the colts were up early, feeling it. Dome was rocking. Defense was, was making a ton of plays strip sack though I mean the Bucks defense came correct as far as getting them back into the strip sack by Shaq Barrett Colts also muffed a punt um so yeah some some ugly big plays Darius Leonard had another forced fumble he's got that peanut punch down man we need to get
1: somebody to look at that it feels like those are happening in every game in the NFL just defenders getting so good at targeting the ball with those punches and forcing fumbles and Leonard has had a bunch this season um but I don't know if that's like, if that's one of those mental things where because you see it and it you start your brain starts to recognize a pattern that isn't necessarily there. Are we seeing more of those, or does it just feel like it? But yeah, Darius Leonard has had multiple ones of those this season, and it's it's really been helping
0: them. Uh, the the MVP hype was all uh, Jonathan Taylor coming in, and the Bucks did everything they could stack the box to slow him down. Like he didn't really get going until very late in the game. He was a big part of the, the comeback. To actually when their Colts were down thirty-one to twenty-four, Jonathan Taylor in the running game is what got them back to tie the game at thirty-one. Um, but the Colts treated this a lot like other teams have, which was look the Bucks have Vita Vea back. They've got all these dudes up front. They had no running room early on. They wanted to, to stop the run and put the ball in Carson Wentz's hands. And Carson Wentz played a overall played a really good game. You know, I thought he missed a couple throws in there. Um, The strip sack was really tough for him to avoid. He was getting pressure from two different angles. Happened in the throwing motion. There was a great interception by Antoine Winfield just going up over Michael Pittman to make the play, which is like, all right, you know, you're going to trust Michael Pittman in a pretty much a jump ball situation against the safety, even with the safety having leverage. Um, So a little bit of bad luck, I would say, for Carson Wentz. He made a ton of key plays, including, you know, third and 14 run right before the two-minute warning. Like, the Colts did a lot of right things, yeah. which was Carson... Usually, if Carson Wentz plays well and Frank Reich making aggressive decisions, going for a fourth down just before the half instead of taking the field goal and getting it, Colts did a lot of right things. It really came down to they turned the ball over and let the Bucks back into this one.
1: I was really impressed by their offense. Um, I kind of went into this game thinking, okay, they've been dominating guys on the ground. Jonathan Taylor with the MVP talk, their offensive line crushing dudes. Does that work against a team like Tampa Bay? that have arguably the best run defense in the NFL. And when Vita Vea is there, you know, they can do all that without stacking the box. They can do it with seven guys uh, up front. Um, and you know if you take away that run game, all of a sudden you're putting the ball in Carson Wentz's hands, which is what the team has not wanted to do. Like Frank Reich has definitely not wanted to lean on Carson Wentz as being the thing that the entire offense runs through. They had to do it in this game, and Wentz really played quite well. Like I, he had a couple of picks, um, but he actually—I was really impressed by how well Wentz played, and to be honest, was the better quarterback of the two. Put up thirty points, and yeah, the the defense just didn't get it done on the other side.
0: Yeah, Gronk was the key for the Bucks. He was fantastic. I mean, a couple key plays from him creating after the catch, the third and long, where he just willed himself to a first down. He was open up the seam a couple times. Uh, the Bucks were down to their third string. Left guard, and you and I talked about this a little bit last night, I thought Brady was a little bit too quick to get to his checkdowns in this particular game to to throw the underneath stuff. The underneath stuff was open against this Colts defense for the most part. You saw Fournette underneath, and we'll talk about Fournette in a minute because he was really good as well. I thought Brady was a little bit too quick to come off some of the downfield stuff, and you mentioned, well, is it just not having... uh, Ellie Marpet there as as their starting left guard. Aaron Stinney's the backup. He lasted, lasted just a handful of snaps, and then it's uh third-string left guard from Rice, Leverett. It just, I wonder how much, I and mean, he gave up a sack to DeForest Buckner uh, as well. I wonder how much that was a, a part of Brady being a little bit on the conservative side here. Yeah, uh, Leverett
1: had a pass-blocking grade of 7.8. Um, the Bucks as a unit, gave up nine pressures, and Leverett gave up five of them. Uh, it, it it felt like Brady was under pressure more than he was in this game. Because um, it was sort of, certainly early, it was like, Brady, again, Brady just is a little off. Like, he's not where he was early in the season. He's missing some throws. He feels a little bit rushed or just not comfortable in the pocket. And I was kind of curious how much pressure he was under over the course of the game. And it actually wasn't that much at all. It was like 25% of his dropbacks. Because he was getting rid of it quickly again. Yeah. Um, But you could tell it's not – this happened a little bit last year when Marpet went down as well, only they at least mitigated the – last year when that happened, they reshuffled the whole offensive line. They moved Ryan Jensen from center to guard, so they got worse at two different positions, and all of a sudden, like, the the entire interior was just hemorrhaging pressure and Brady was struggling. At least this time, they kept Jensen where he was – So your center is fine, and now you've only got to worry about the backup and then the third string left guard. Um, So it was a problem. But again, if if one out of five offensive line spots is a problem, we can deal with that. If two or more or, you know, the, the more you have, it just multiplies and magnifies the problem. So I think it was an issue, and Brady definitely felt like a quarterback that was anticipating problems coming from an offensive line spot. But then later on in the game, he did seem to kind of get himself back on track.
0: Yeah, and uh, he, had a, he had a rough turn of worthy play out, outside that. He had a dropped interception, and then the actual interception, uh, a little bit of a miscommunication with Scotty Miller. I thought Greg Olson broke it down pretty well. I think it was Olson, right, on the, uh, on the broadcast, kind of thrown to a spot where Scotty Miller is supposed to be outside. He goes inside, Miller coming back off of IR. In this game, and the Bucks have to, like, you're obligated. It's in his contract. You got to take one or two deep shots to Scotty Miller. Mm. And uh, so, for, oh for 1 with an interception so far in Scotty Miller's return. Uh, but. Uh, Miller did uh, get the.
1: Not a fumble, a fumble recovery, recovery. Muff, muff recovery. Yeah,
0: yeah. Does it count as a fumble recovery? Don't Even so. though it's not a fumble uh, Actually, it, it might does, be right?
1: a fumble recovery, but it's not a fumble. It doesn't count as a fumble. It's yeah. just
0: a muff. You get those NFL rules. Um, so a week after Jonathan Taylor all of a sudden became an MVP candidate, it's actually Leonard Fournette putting up a similar stat line with uh, three rushing touchdowns and then one through the air. So and then Fournette, you know, breaks away for the it was the game-winning touchdown. They were in uh, the Bucks were in field goal range, uh, game-winning drive opportunity for the Bucks. They were running it out and they ran it out all the way into the end zone for Fournette. Yeah, uh, he he looked good in this game. Again, he. Just having Fournette catch the ball and turn up field, he did have a drop in this one, but just having him catch the ball and turn up field in the pass game and create a little bit on his own in the run game does really change this offense for the better.
1: I love listening to Bruce Arian's press conferences afterwards, after games generally, because he is so brutally honest. He really is. It's hilarious. So he was uh, lamenting the fact that Lenny actually scored in the play. He was like, yeah, I would have preferred he gone down at the two-yard line or whatever. Right. And obviously people were mad at that because you can't take points off the board when they're there. But like, generally it's because of exactly what happened, right? The Colts get the ball back. The guy almost returns it for the With touchdown. With 20
0: seconds left, they right. almost gave up a kick return for a touchdown.
1: Kick return. Almost. The guy just gets a hand on him and makes him stumble. He's almost made that guy miss. And if he did, he was housing it. Even that. With the tackle, put them in chance, or in range to have a shot at this, um, but that's exactly why you don't score, right? If they, if he, if Lenny had gone down at the one or two yard line, they could have drained the clock, kicked, and game over. Right. Instead, you score, you give them the ball back, and all of a sudden, it's still a game. Um, and then the other thing he said was the deep touchdown that the Colts had. Uh, Murphy Bunting, I think it was, sort of played it in a weird way. Was in trail, looked like he was expecting safety help. Bruce Arians is like, well, if he was expecting safety help, he shouldn't have been. like, oh, okay. (laughs) That answers that. (laughs) Definitely Murphy Bunding's fault then.
0: Free safety in the middle field cut the uh, crossing route on that one. Uh, That was a great – that was Ashton Doolin beat him for the 62-yard touchdown. Great throw by Carson Wentz, hitting him in stride. But, yeah, uh, Bruce Arians said, nobody runs on us. And even though – Did
1: you see uh, Vita Vea lose a tooth? Yep. God, that's got to suck. Bruce –
0: Look at this. We have pic- we really do have pictures God, for everything. Dang. look! The booth is look. Stopping the run today. Stopping the run is uh, is intense. Yeah, like Sometimes his, you lose the tooth. His helmet had already been wrenched
1: up or something, and then gluwinski put his hat like right in Vitavea's oh. face, and just tooth pops right out. It's rough in the trenches, man. It's that rough. would suck. That that feels like it would be. I, that would suck. I don't want to... There's something about. It teeth and breaking them that would just make me
0: you
1: wouldn't want to do that don't want don't want a part of that don't
0: want any part of that anyway that's why game. you wear the helmet you know what i mean great entertaining game with uh the bucks and the colts bucks needed this one to to hang with the uh, green bay packers to be right behind the arizona cardinals battling for that number one seed in the nfc colts fall to six and six and again afc wide open that's only a couple games outside of uh you know top seeds but the Colts are going to have to their margin of error is dwindling yeah
1: this was such an opportunity for the Colts like they with the Titans losing and the way the the fact the Titans have nobody left if the Colts had managed to steal a win here they would have had a real shot at like stealing that division back from Tennessee by the end of the season Um, just the Tennessee has the tiebreaker no I know but that's what I'm saying even with that they yeah. would have had a real shot of overcoming that de- differential. Essentially, three games they need to make up. They would have had a real shot at it. This is a, just a big blow for that. I think they still have a, a reasonable shot at the playoffs, but that, that it just makes things a lot tougher. People, by the way, this charity idea, right? You know, what can we do as a forfeit, as a punishment, as a, a thing to raise money for charity? Just to, to set some guardrails on you when you're coming up with your ideas. Somebody in the chat box here, for charity, get a tattoo of the NFL team that most donations are for. You know, which which no, I'm team tattoo. logo tattoo will Steve get? Donate to whatever. And no. so like, like, I don't know about you. You know, I'm, I'm not going to speak for you. I'm not having anything tattooed on me for charity unless we are raising a staggering amount of money here. Like... Nothing per- – there should be no permanent
0: – Yeah, this is probably more than – this is more than the haircut. The hair grows – right. like $50,000 haircut would at least grow back. You could shave presumably. your head,
1: and in a few months' time, you could have the same ridiculous barnet in the top of your head that you have now. Thank you. The tattoo thing, that's like a permanent rendition unless you're getting it laser removal, which I don't imagine is cheap. So, you know, permanent disfigurement is not part of – we're not likely to sign up for that, is I'm, not, I'm saying.
0: not a tattoo guy.
1: You're not a tattoo guy. Do you have a tattoo? No. Yeah, me neither. I have no objection You're the only to two them. left. I just haven't I haven't come I haven't seen anything that I imagine I would still like in 40 years time and think is
0: awesome. Like you know a Bills I mean? logo because you know it'd be the Bills. Bills mafia would be given thousands of dollars and you'd have a Bills we'd both have Bills tattoos.
1: I mean that certainly isn't something I want on me, but generally like I have no actual moral uh, objection to tattoos. I just haven't seen something that I think yeah, in like 30 years time I'm going to look at that and still think it's awesome
0: yeah I have no moral objection either. I just don't want to get one, and certainly not for for the show right like
1: think of like think of an awesome item of clothing you thought was was amazing twenty years ago, and now you think would make you look like an idiot like that imagine that now permanently um,
0: etched into your body. Come on, stop pushing us forward here the, the whole chat's trying to f- listen. it started off. Oh, let's pick our hair out. Let's dress up like Steve. Like, all right, let's just keep it fun, okay? We, I didn't, really... we didn't even want to go, like, the crazy hot pepper route because of uh, stomach concerns, you know?
1: I did hear one that I thought was quite a good idea, right? So instead of just the, here's a disgustingly hot pepper that will, like, cause you serious injury, you have, like, a Wheel of Fortune pepper thing with various heats. So from, like, jalapeno to, you know, Ghost, Carolina Reaper, or whatever, and you just spin the thing, you know, and whatever lands on, that's what you got to eat and carry on doing the podcast with that. That's not entertaining. It really is,
0: I think, you know. Depending on what it lands on, that would be pretty funny. If we got, like, a Wheel of Fortune sponsorship to this and all that. Wheel of Fortune
1: sponsorship, yeah. you think
0: they're dealing out, like, advertising yeah, yeah. deals? Yeah, if they, if they want to get in on that. The this.
1: problem with that one is we'd have to wait till spring so that Rick could grow them all. That <laughs> is that a problem? <laughs> I <laughs> mean, have... it's just, it sets a time scale for this thing. I think we could we could probably hammer out a couple more got his own. before then.
0: Hot seasoning he brings to but I think restaurants that's here. I think that's a pretty good
1: one I think that'd be funny because you know the chances of you getting I'm not interested. the Carolina Reaper are minimal and yet if you're something like you know if you're if you're very hot but not hospital hot you have to do the podcast whilst your face is melting that I think that'd be funny
0: I'd laugh New York Giants thirteen Philadelphia Eagles seven the heck.
1: The Wheel of Misfortune. You see, there you go. Somebody's even naming it for
0: us. The Wheel of Misfortune. It could be fortunate get an easy one. Maybe. Speaking of misfortune, how about this Eagles team scored seven points? They ran the ball. A million uh, well, times? again, 208 yards. But, I mean, this was like the, uh, the, old, the old JT Barrett game that I talk about. Jalen Hurts with three interceptions on 31 attempts. Passer rating of 17.5. Hmm. But he had seventy seven yards on the ground on eight carries. But yeah, Philadelphia just could not put the ball into the end zone. Yeah. And least. then when Hertz actually did make a great throw, potential game winner to Jalen Rager right on his hands. Oh. This was just ugly. Yes. Giants defense though
1: made some plays. Jalen Rager made like one play early in the game, and it was like everybody forgot everything that had happened since they drafted him. Or like, oh he's 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 fixed now. Let's start loading up. Jalen Rager with targets in really high leverage situations. Like, okay, he's made a positive play. That's great. Let's celebrate that. But on third and got to have it, fourth and got to have it, do you really want to target Jalen Rager? Do you? Having seen what he's done from draft day till now, is that the guy you really want to put the game on the line in his hands? Is it? Is it really? Apparently not. Because... I don't think it is, and yet that's what the Eagles were doing repeatedly in this game. And, okay, yes, Jalen Hurts put the ball in his hands in the end zone for what should have been a touchdown at the end of the game. On the other hand, why was he the guy you were targeting? Versus Devontae Smith, who was waving at Jalen Hurts, like, I'm open, hit me, and instead you throw the ball at Rager. Like, (sighs) look... Yes, Rager is most at fault there for dropping the ball in the end zone. On the other hand, I think as the quarterback, you have to have some awareness that that's probably not a smart place to go with the football. You know what I mean? It's not like like he was standing there wide the hell open with nobody within 10 yards of him in the back of the end zone. You're like, I don't care if it's Jalen Rager or like some dude we just pulled out of the stands that's a better-than-nothing chance of him catching the ball. Like, how could he screw it up from there? It was still a target that was, you know, going to be vaguely contested, and you have to know that that's Rager, not Devontae Smith or somebody you actually trust to catch the ball.
0: We have another... What did we call this? The, the, so there's the go ball to Rager that should have been caught. We're not calling a drop at the moment here. Jalen Rager had seven targets in this
1: game and had two catches. Yeah, man, well... Devontae Smith had four targets.
0: Why? There's, there's literally no excuse that should ever happen. Feed ever. Devontae a little bit more. I, I don't understand how they could dominate up front and just not put the – the pass game was so inefficient, whether it was Hurts missing throws, putting the ball in harm's way, or the receivers not coming up with it. The pass game was just an absolute detriment. This go ball is kind of broken up by the defender. But Rager's got to catch that. This was Hertz's best throw of the game. So the the Eagles have four opportunities, with about a minute left. Not like I mean they're they're inside the forty. Hertz puts one, oh, pretty much on Rager's hands, and it's yeah. broken up. And then you go back to the well. But that was late. I mean the one that he the one that Rager drops at the one was kind of late. He had to he had to kind of fight to make the adjustment just to get back to it. It's fourth down, and then he
1: but it's like drops it. yeah, but. The, again, you got to catch it, and you know it's him. Why you? You shouldn't get the ball. It shouldn't. You should have never put yourself in a position where he could let you down. He was, here's what the I'm problem. saying.
0: He was he was one for five when trying to catch contested, contested uh, uncontested catch opportunities. Yes. Whereas Devontae Smith, yes, only only had a handful of targets, and you know should be fed a little bit more in this passing attack. And if you are run game plus Devontae Smith, it could be a lot more efficient. And
1: particularly, again, in in like the highest leverage situations, okay, in a random second down somewhere in the game, sure, let's give Jalen Rager a chance to make a play. He made one earlier, why not? But like with the game on the line, there's one play, it's do or die,
0: who do you throw the ball to? It's not Jalen Rager. uh, If you look at the grades... The Eagles will have one of the better run blocking performances of the season, and as much as we talk about, you know, points come through the pass game, and that's where efficiency comes through, and all that stuff, right? I mean, the the pass game has to be so bad for you to score seven, like for the for this type of rushing attack to not work, yeah, right? For to have two over two hundred yards, to have an eighty-eight run blocking grade as a team, uh, lineman grading in the eighties, Dallas Goddard grading in the eighties. Those are massive run blocking grades. If against the Giants defensive front, that's you know, supposed to be built to stop the run. And and the Eagles can only put seven points on the board. Man, we just hyped them up last week. What's going on? This was We hyped them up. We were we had a whole show on the Eagles going to the playoffs, man. This new style. But we forgot that the pass game could be this inefficient.
1: I mean, this was, was an it? absolute yeah. catastrophe for Philadelphia. They had a real shot of making the postseason and all you had to do was like beat the teams you're supposed to beat and this was they just set fire to it in this game like absolutely and it's not like it's not like the giants put up a lot of points and you had to keep pace like all you had to do was score twice and you win this game and you continue and they were in
0: position to right. win it the and whole narrative changes though if we two passes are dropped as ugly as Hurts played in this game the narrative changes with two contested catch opportunities
1: two contested catch opportunities or even just like don't put the ball like the, the they had one right at the end of the first half where they were driving for a touchdown and Jalen Hurts runs out of runs away from pressure and then just throws the ball to the linebacker okay his intended receiver was sort of tossed to the ground but like that was a bad pass
0: like, red zone interfe- yeah red yeah. zone interception um, it was all ugly so the the Eagles rushing attack 0.17 I know that the numbers are tough I'll, I'll give and somebody asked me to you know, give a little bit more context when we give these numbers. I try to do that. 0.17 EPA, which is very, very good for a rushing attack. 0.17. Very, very, very good. Very efficient. That'd be a good passing attack. That was the Eagles. Expected points added. Best way to to just show efficiency when it comes to offense or defense. The passing attack was minus 0.26, which is terrible. So the Eagles rushing attack was just far 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 better than their passing attack and normally when you run the ball at you know that well you know it will lead to pretty good offense unless you're that bad offensively which includes red zone interceptions red zone drops and the whole deal uh you know credit the giants a little bit at least the, you know from a pass coverage standpoint they made the plays they, they picked off the three passes and uh they're uh they're in the hunt sam <laughs> they're in the hunt. They really are. It's ridiculous. The people were asking, why do you keep saying in the hunt? Because that's what all the graphics say. Who's in the hunt? Every team in the NFL except the Lions, Texans, and Jaguars. Everybody's in the hunt. Giants move to 4-7. and seven. Eagles fall to 5-7. and seven. So the Eagles still have a uh, a bye coming up here. But, um, man, it was a golden opportunity for the Eagles to go to uh, to 6-6 six and six and really be in the hunt and a game and a half behind the Cowboys. But they're not any longer.
1: Yeah, like the – the playoff picture is such that everybody is still technically in it, but Philadelphia's chances
0: took a real body blow with this loss. And the Eagles', Eagles off, uh, defense has been playing better and better. I mean, the, the Giants couldn't get much going offensively
1: either. The the discussion we had earlier about quarterback environment and Ryan Tannehill, et cetera, et cetera, another quarterback that that's massively relevant to is Daniel Jones. Huge. Just, you know, because people yeah. – Daniel Jones made the same mistakes that Daniel Jones always makes in this game. On the other hand, it's like, look what's around him
0: and ask where your expectation should be. We've seen his offensive line play much worse, though. We've seen them play much worse than they did in this game. It's just as the, the overall body of work is Daniel Jones has never played behind a good offensive line. Hmm. Neither has Tua. And it's Tua. usually been behind a pretty bad offensive line. And most of his receivers have always been hurt. The thing that's tough, though, is when you see Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert last year both play behind subpar offensive lines and still produce. Yeah, it's not that you can't.
1: It's that most of the time most quarterbacks
0: are But you want you want the guy like when you're going to invest in the guy, you want that guy to elevate no matter what is put out there. And I don't think we've seen that from we don't see I don't think we've seen Daniel Jones elevate uh, what's around him. I don't know that we've seen Tua elevate what's around him. I think we have not
1: say that Tua has. The question is how far.
0: If you just look at sack rate, yes. If you just say, well, he's not getting sacked a lot. Sack rate, like
1: Jalen Waddle looks like a different player when Tua is there than when Jacoby Brissett is there. Tua has demonstrably elevated multiple areas of that offense. The question is how far and where. Again, where is the ceiling? Like this is the thing. A crappy situation. We were people were declaring Tom Brady toast based off the last year in New England because his receivers were terrible, right? Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, who as soon as he was put in a different environment looked like the same player again, was being written off as done because his receiving group in New England was awful. Even the the offensive line was fine, and it was looking worse because of that receiving group. So if it can do that to the greatest quarterback in the NFL, of course it's going to make Daniel Jones look like crap. Yeah,
0: I, tough decisions, right, for whoever. like A lot of reports that Gettleman's out, too, and uh, there will be a new regime there. We'll see if it's a Joe Judge-led regime as well for the Giants. There are some tough decisions to be made there with the Giants. Both of these teams, Eagles and Giants, will, will have plenty of off-season discussion about both of these teams. I think that's all the 1 o'clocks. Yeah, we were going to get done by 9. Yeah, well done. Green Bay 36, Rams 28. Today's PFF NFL Daily. We, uh, we, we try to be positive on a Monday morning. We were not. How did we do? No, we talked about the Rams. Sky is falling. They fall to 7-4. Third straight loss for the Rams. Are you
1: sure that I didn't do really well this week? Because every time I look at the graphic, I got no, one you right.
0: Let's see. I don't know. Somebody will, somebody will get us your, your numbers. Okay. Uh, but the Packers, they moved to 9-3 and three here. And 9-3? Uh, and three? I thought they were 8-3. and three. Is this is this thing wrong? What's their record, Sam? Uh, no, they're out nine and three. They haven't had a bye yet either. Uh, so Packers nine and three and uh, still in the mix, of course, for the number one overall seed. Big win for them. Matthew Stafford, another pick six in this one to Rasul Douglas. What'd you think of uh, of this game? A lot of storylines in in this one. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, so Green Bay and uh, Arizona have been the two teams. That have impressed me the most this year in terms of weathering setbacks and weathering uh, things that have caused problems for other teams. Like, there's a lot of teams in the league where you're like, if they're fully healthy, their depth is incredible and they're so difficult to stop and they're so, the capacity they have to beat you in all these different ways is amazing. But when that's been chipped away at, all these teams have started to falter. We've seen it from Tampa Bay, we've seen it from Dallas. Um, obviously, Tennessee right now is being wrecked by by injuries, not just challenged but like completely destroyed we 've seen it for so many teams. the chargers or the, the Cardinals have gone two and one without their quarterback and number one wide receiver insanely impressive um, and are right now in control of that number one seed and then Green Bay have been playing without the best left tackle in the NFL without their second left tackle who went down and um without their top cornerback, without their best pass rusher. They lost Aaron Rodgers for a game, and they're another team that's right up there with the number one seed. So this was another game where i have just been really impressed by Green Bay continuing to get it done despite the sort of consistent setbacks that you think would take out most teams. And, you know, no David Bakhtiari all season long. He isn't back yet. They're hoping to get him back at some point um, and really fix that issue. Uh, No, Elton Jenkins, he went down. So Josh Nyman was their left tackle, right? And he held up okay. He wasn't terrible. And okay, they were clearly helping him out, making sure he wasn't a problem. But they had like three members of that offensive line that did not grade particularly well in pass protection. And it didn't really matter. Like, Aaron Rodgers did what Aaron Rodgers does. The offense was fine, and they were—they just kept on
0: going. Excellent performance by Aaron Rodgers because, yeah, he was under pressure. I mean, the, the pocket was compressing a bunch on him. He made a lot of throws. He only got sacked once for – didn't even lose a yard. He was kind of stepping up. Um, to me, that was the most impressive thing is the Packers avoided those negative plays. And then Rodgers, when he had those opportunities – dime of a seam route dime dropping one in uh, to Devontae Adams down the field Um, they flipped the field with some big throws and they didn't have those negative plays under pressure Um, and to me it just felt like and I mentioned this on the daily you've got Matthew Stafford on one side And it just felt like this uphill battle. There was a point where I thought, okay, maybe it's different, right? He hits Van Jefferson on the bomb, and and, and the Rams are competing in this shootout with the Packers, which if this had happened in previous years, you wouldn't expect it. If you get into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and you're bringing Jared Goff to the fight here, you just didn't feel like the the Rams were going to be able to compete, right? Didn't they win
1: a 50-something, 40-something game against Kansas City? There was a defensive touchdown in there. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> My bad. So those, Goff only accounted for 40-something of the points? That was three years ago. Sure. It still happened. It was, it's not it was, like Goff hasn't like had these games. They won the Minnesota Vikings game as well. It was like a monster shootout. Goff
0: was racking up the points. Yeah, there was a couple games where Jared Goff did that. Yeah. I didn't get that feeling in the last two years that he would be that guy. Okay. 2018, Jared Goff was did a lot of really good stuff yeah. you're saying that like it's not like Matthew Stafford is the only
1: way that the Rams are capable of being in a shootout like golf has done that yeah I understand
0: Stafford's probably better equipped for it as much as he did not play well in this game and had a you know had, had more turnover worthy plays and just missed throws he missed a bunch of throws in this game Stafford was not great talked about all the reports but I'm, what I'm saying is there was a point in this game where it felt like it, okay it could be different maybe the Rams are gonna be able to hang here Um, but the Packers, you know, just kept pulling away, just kept pulling away. And Stafford was not able to, to keep up. No. And now that brings up massive question marks for the Rams. You got Stafford for this game because your perception was we can't do this with Jared Goff. You have to win road games in the NFC with the teams that you're competing with for the top playoff spots. And whether it's Stafford, Von Miller, Odell Beckham Jr., not getting that production out of all these recent signings or guys you traded for.
1: So you so there's some sort of mitigating circumstances, right? You lose Robert Woods, who's one of the best receivers in the
0: NFL and a really important part of this How offense. How good is he, though? Did you hear what hear what Troy said? How good is he? Uh, Troy Aikman said he's top three. Top three wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, that's Aikman's higher, rankings. higher than I would be willing to go, but
1: I think he's a very good wide receiver i agree and a really important role within this offense that you don't have a clear replacement for as much as it's like hey odell beckham is a new acquisition he can do some of the things like he can't do everything robert woods does uh, in terms of that kind of big slot and all these kinds of things like woods does a lot for that offense and obj even at his best does not do some of those things doesn't have the same skill set neither does van jefferson so they're There's like a clear absence from this offense that you had earlier in the season that is going to be something you need to work around. Um, But like Stafford now is three straight games of mediocre grading. He now has a worse grade than his last five consecutive seasons in Detroit. So the player that you're looking at over there with the Lions and are like this guy is being held back by this joke of a franchise that can't, You know, realize the full potential of Matthew Stafford now we're going to surround him with the Rams playmakers and Sean McVay and his genius system and this good offensive line we're going to get this much better Matthew Stafford well he's grading worse than the last five years with the Lions right so that hasn't happened yet and okay the production has been better for those first whatever it was six seven games but now that's disappeared as well so what are we doing here and if you're, if you're blaming injuries, one, he's a guy with a fairly extensive injury history from his like, time in Detroit. It's not like this is a, an unexpected development in Matthew Stafford's career. We haven't gone from, like, Iron Man to a dude that's banged up throughout, throughout the season. And two, if it was, like, unless they happened after week seven they're not excuses because he was cooking for the first seven weeks and we were, like, apologizing for doubting the greatness of Matthew Stafford and the, like, alchemy that would be created by combining Stafford with Sean McVay. So if it wasn't an excuse for him then, it's not an excuse for him now. The wheels have fallen off this thing. All of a sudden, the Rams, who were chasing the number one seed in the Super Bowl, are like, we are not even particularly good right now. And there's a whole bunch of teams in the NFC that look better than us we need Stafford to pull himself out of this tailspin, or we didn't do anything this year.
0: Yeah, they need him now. Look, so I think the bottom line is you don't, you're not trading for Matthew Stafford so that he'll grade better. You are grading for the production. And the overall production this year, because it was so good, those first eight, nine weeks, is still among the best in the league. Just pure down-for-down, pass-game production is still right near the top, right, for the Rams. The problem is in these when when you lose a Robert Woods, it keeps coming back. It's like this Baker Mayfield argument. It's like these everyone else we're talking about. When you lose stuff, which everybody has lost, right? Everybody we talked about the the Packers, all of their losses. Everybody that they've you know they're picking up practice squad players and everybody that they have lost along the way, and outside of a couple games, Aaron Rodgers generally has produced here, and. You need Stafford to step up when Robert Woods isn't the guy. And you do bring in Odell Beckham Jr. They did have the 54-yard touchdown connection there. So, you know, maybe there is something there in the future. But you're asking, there is.
1: What? Uh, So, Ben is is making the point. Ben is making the point that, um, you know, Stafford has done this four or five times in his career where you get new new coach, new system, new whatever, and you get eight games of, like, amazing Stafford, and then he regresses back into Matthew Stafford. So Ben was saying, well, why don't you hire two offensive coordinators in the year? (laughs) You hire one to start the season, then you hire a new one midway through
0: to get you through the rest of the year. Let's get Zach promoted here. Zach Robinson has been named the new offensive coordinator for the Rams for the rest of the year. And then
1: you might need a third one for the postseason to take you through to the Super Bowl. Maybe that's the strategy here. So Demote McVay... Just rotate. Just one, then the next three. You have three guys that you're capable of calling plays and having the system. And call Peyton Manning and the Swap them in and out every something. eight games.
0: Actually, don't do that with Peyton. Um,
1: wow, I like it. That's a good. That's, good yeah. that's a good strategy. So the other thing at play here for the Rams is, I mean, obviously the defense gave up 36 points, or gave up a lot of points. The pick six was points that's not on the defense. Yeah. Um, it feels like they're. They're too easy to scheme around right now if you're if you're the offense, right? One, so it's like, hey, this is great, Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey, we get this battle all the way through the game. And it doesn't happen that much because the Rams don't use Jalen Ramsey in that way. And then the other aspect is when you don't, there's I don't think there's a team in the NFL that is more prepared to look up. See the advantage they have one on one, and just put the ball in the air immediately. When the Rams or when Aaron Rodgers looks up pre-snap and sees Dante Dion one on one with Devontae Adams, like whatever the play call, forget it. This is where the ball is going. Yeah, throwing Devontae, throwing it in the air now immediately, and you can't even like what like Dante Dion has no shot. The dude is he's small. He's he's not particularly like he's. He's overmatched by Adams in every conceivable capacity. So, of course, he's giving up a big play. And there, so, whenever you give the, the Packers that picture pre-snap, you're giving up a big play. And if you don't give them that picture, you have, you're have you trying to, like, manufacture Jalen Ramsey on him one-on-one, and Jalen Ramsey was giving up a catch every time he was. Like, even your best guy, who's arguably the best corner in the NFL right now, is being taken to town by Devontae Adams. He's that good. So... The, the whole strategy of pumping all your resources into two players, effectively.
0: If those guys lose, you're done. And Von Miller, who's just been – he had a bunch of pressures yesterday. No real few dominant wins, so the pass rush grade won't be great. Two games now with Von Miller where the defense has not looked good, so he hasn't necessarily upgraded them at all right now. Meanwhile, meanwhile the Broncos look pretty good. Um, so, yeah, a lot of question marks coming out of the Rams. We thought it was – it's a fascinating strategy watching them uh, – Surrender high draft picks for for players that could help them right now, and, and right I still, look, now those players aren't helping them. They're not. And I, You're going to tell me they draft in volume, but they're still they're still lighting high draft picks on fire. Well, they're trading them in, a, you know, for players. I'm not even going to tell you
1: that. I'm just there. As much as we've sort of asked, is the sky falling on the NFL Daily? Um, like, there are people out there that are like, oh, their window is closed and they're done for the next two or three years. Like, the Rams are going to be bad. I mean, that's the wrong narrative, too, yeah. This is what I'm saying. Like, it's not, it's not that bad. Yes, things are not going well right now. They are kind of in a tailspin. This season is in trouble and in jeopardy, and things need to change for them to be a Super Bowl contender, even if they don't. Like, even if they miss the playoffs this year, I, I don't think next year would be up in smoke. I think the, piece, the pieces are still there for them to be good and competitive again. Sure. Um, it's just that right now it's not Yeah, working. they're not
0: all in for 2021 only. Yeah, um, where right the, now it isn't working. The Vaughn Miller move was was all in, though. Sure. Uh, you're giving up your two day two picks there uh, for Vaughn Miller. That is, you're not getting those back, you know, maybe the comp pick. But uh, anyway, huge win for, for the Packers. They moved to 9-3, and three and uh, we'll see what happens with the Cardinals, right? I mean, I, I'm not expecting the Cardinals to go 15-2. and two. I think they'll lose at some point here. Packers have the tiebreaker, so the Packers look like they might have uh, the road to the number one seed here. Uh, they're right in the mix for that number one. Uh, we mentioned the Broncos. They win 28-13 to against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Patrick Sertan with a pick six to kind of seal the deal here to get up to 28-7. to Teddy Bridgewater got hurt at one point for the Broncos, comes back in in the second half, and I think that was a huge key because Teddy – Teddy played a solid game. Drew Locke comes in, fumbles, intercept, uh, fumble for a first down, by the way, so it was okay. Also throws an interception to the player. Great diving attempt. Broncos rushing attack was pretty good again. Trying to figure out what happened to the Chargers. But uh, both teams now, six and five, much like the Raiders in the AFC West. All three teams, six and five now.
1: Yeah. I don't understand why that, I don't understand what prompts Denver to show up every couple of weeks and, like, beat good teams. The Broncos actually stomped on Dallas a
0: couple weeks ago. Is that just another preseason prior, though? Like, we said they got a good roster. Yeah. They're good in the the second. They're good on the perimeter. But
1: usually those teams that are sort of a a good roster, but, you know, never a Super Bowl contending roster because of the kind of quarterback situation, usually the way that presents itself is they beat bad teams, they lose to good teams. Denver's win-loss is like a random it's not that's not how it works like sure. they're beating good teams randomly they're losing to bad teams randomly it just feels like luck on you know, any given week what kind of Broncos team is going to show
0: up so uh turns out I mean so the Bron- the Broncos end up they're just similar to the Browns right I mean the Browns are a good roster with inconsistent quarterback play the Brown Broncos are getting better quarterback play from Teddy Bridgewater and it's just a good all-around roster
1: the other thing, can you imagine what would happen in this game if, like, Drew Locke hadn't come in at any point? Yeah. Like, Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt. Uh, gets, I didn't, didn't even know what happened. Like, it was a leg injury of some description, but I wasn't quite sure how that happened given the hit that he took. Um, Drew Locke comes in, has, like, eight dropbacks, two he plays, like, immediately fumbles the ball at random. Um, Denver also was dealing with, like, a ton of injuries in the offensive line. Like, they are pretty banged up. And again it's like how did how did they, they just wreck the chargers
0: yeah i don't I was trying to figure this out <laughs> coming out of this game um, herbert you know the the charger's offense should be better right yes. and that's and that's what I'm really trying to sort out here. Herbert's not playing poorly overall. You have Keenan Allen. You have Mike Williams. You see all those flashes. Mike Williams, I mean, one of Herbert's best throws was a back shoulder to Mike Williams where there was an offensive pass interference. In this particular game, it just felt like, okay, third downs. Uh, you know, the Chargers converted 7-14, but there's another fourth down that they didn't get. It was just like the Broncos just made enough key stops over and over and over again here.
1: And Herbert did have a bunch of bad plays in this game, like
0: more than he said. Yeah, this, this wasn't his best game. I'm talking like the Chargers as a whole – trying to figure it out Herbert wasn't as clean in this game as he's been in other ones
1: yeah not at all like he had a he had a few bad plays in this game um, he also got unlucky like the the second pick from Sertan hit Austin Eckler in the hands and then bounced up and ended up being yeah, that back. was
0: one of those like the throws off target it's not it's not a great throw but it certainly shouldn't be an interception yeah, it definitely like, shouldn't be a pick six it's,
1: it's you would expect the guy to catch that not, right. not for it to be going back in the other direction
0: yeah the first interception by Herbert horrible
1: Right, second one
0: was pretty bad too. Um, or second uh, turnover. Second play. turnover. Yeah, so he ends up with three total turnover-worthy plays. I'm saying the other, the first actual interception yeah. was was bad, and I'm saying those are those are the those are the plays that were the difference in this one.
1: Yeah, um, and that's it. I mean, that's the gist of it. Pretty much. The, I mean, <laughs> the so the thing with the Chargers' offense and the fact that it's been this kind of hyper-conservative, uh, problematic type of system where you're like, why is it not maximizing what Justin Herbert can do is if all of a sudden a couple of turnovers show up, you know, and Justin Herbert does actually put the throw the ball straight to a defensive back a couple of times, like you're not making enough plays to offset that. So all of a sudden, instead of like wherever you have been normally and putting up enough points and, you know, ending up disappointed with it, but not able to criticize the results too much, all of a sudden that changes and you put up 13 points and the whole thing is just not good enough. Those are yeah. the kinds of fine margins you're dealing with if you're going to play that style of offense.
0: Yeah, Herbert had only seven turnover-worthy plays coming into the game, has three in this one. So even, like you said, like the, the bad luck the bad luck on the actual pick six, offset by the fact that he put the ball in harm's way three total times, had the two interceptions. Uh, Chargers got to go back to the drawing board, man. Uh, even defensively, right, you still have... A team that is not not great up front. They're trying to play with light boxes, not great up front. Uh, Javante Williams, a couple freak plays in there, especially one uh, as a receiver, just making a play up the sideline. Him and Melvin Gordon, a good one-two punch. I mean, I think that's also part of the Broncos here. As much as we poo-poo running games, there are there are games where like a one-two punch of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, they force seven missed tackles in the run game, like those. In individual games throughout the season, there is value there, and that is you know the Broncos needed that too because again you know Teddy made a couple plays, had a, uh, a nice scramble for a touchdown, and the whole thing. But sometimes you need the run game as well, and the Broncos have that option offensively.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that is because the Chargers' defense is is bad. Um, yeah, I get the. It. The Chargers' defense is actually being constructed in a similar way to the Rams, which makes sense given Brandon Staley comes over, but it's it's without the design. Like the Rams' team-building strategy, as we've been talking about, it, is like, it's centering things around this top-heavy approach where we get a couple of amazing players and we just patch it together outside of those guys. Can we see the guy's name yet? He was no. A so the Chargers have done a very similar thing with Joey Bosa, one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL, and the player... Number thirty-three, who shall remain nameless, lest we jinx him. Great player, that's safe. Made a bunch of incredible plays, graded above ninety. Uh, so they have those two guys, and basically nothing else. Like everybody else is not grading particularly well, and did not grade particularly well in this game. But I, I don't think it's the same. Like they haven't gone in deliberately trying to do that. It's just that's the way it's it's manifesting right now.
0: That's what's the, yeah. That's what Staley. Right. Said. I almost said Brandon Stokely. That's yeah. what Brandon Staley inherited.
1: Right. But it comes with, with the all Chargers. the same drawbacks, right? Which is sometimes that just isn't enough. And if if the the rest of those guys are not capable of holding up in a game, you just get overmatched and and you give up a ton of points.
0: Broncos also sacked Justin Herbert three times, got to him a little bit. So Broncos defense, uh, they're not missing Von Miller either for the most part here. So it's just interesting, right? I mean, it's not, you know, Von Miller was playing good football with the Broncos, but um, I, I don't know if this – Overrates the value of one player uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I, you know, it's, it is, but it is interesting that the Broncos continue to roll. And Vic Fangio, there was a sky is falling talk in Denver early in the season, but he's got them, got them playing hard, man.
1: Yeah, so. yeah. The Broncos. I mean, it seems to be random, but, but they played well, and, and this was a big
0: game for them. Oh, there's only one game left. Well, there you go. Check my work. Make sure I didn't miss Check anything. Check Your work, God. San Francisco, thirty-four, Minnesota. 26. The Niners also move to 6 and 5 and you know it was two hot teams, we both picked Minnesota here. So see, see here's where we lose. Mm. This is where we lost. Uh, two hot teams. This is what you get for Why taking did I pick the I I talked you into taking the Vikings.
1: You did. You asshole. I remember that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I did. I knew it. You see you were, I the second time since 2012 that you picked the Vikings <sighs> and look what happens. Look what happens. Son of a bitch. I'm just saying they've been burning you in recent weeks, and mm-hmm. they did it again. They did it again. 34-26. Uh, <laughs> is Debo Samuel the MVP? There's There's nobody because, you know, the – Idiot media has to pick an MVP every single week. And the MVP's not, you know, who's the best player, the most valuable player through the last X number of weeks? Who did the best yesterday? And there's no Jonathan Taylor. Like, there's probably somebody saying it's Leonard Fournette today because they're that crazy. Uh, maybe it's Debo Samuel. Maybe Debo Samuel's the most valuable player in the NFL, even with only one catch for 12 yards. Just throw him into the backfield and uh, two touchdowns, a 49 yarder. He did get uh, had a groin injury at the end. They're going to be checking on, but man, Debo move into the backfield, just uh, love it with this offense. This offense is cooking, though, in San Francisco with all of their players healthy. Yeah, this, in fact, was exactly
1: the way I said this game was going to go, which is the Vikings just
0: cannot stop this 49ers offense. You knew Kirk Cousins would have the worst interception of the season and that he would miss a wide-open two-point conversion and just beat... As, as inaccurate as he's been all year. You, you knew all that to. was going to happen. The point was that th- was the difference.
1: The point was the Minnesota Vikings' defense was not capable of stopping the San Francisco offense. Elijah Mitchell had a ton of yards. Debo Samuel had a ton of yards. Like, they could not prevent the 49ers from doing what the 49ers do. And at that point, you are then putting the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands and saying, you need to keep pace in a shootout. And if you screw up at any point, we're done. And that's what happened. And look, <sighs> The Kirk Cousins thing. Kirk Cousins is still going to have like a top five grade in terms of PFF uh, rating after this game. Um, He made some nice plays. He was also off in a bunch, but whatever. This was not a good Kirk Cousins game. The thing is, though, he's been grading as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this season, has been grading really well for quite an extended period of time, and yet you always wonder, like, why do we not buy into this? Like, why why do we not trust it? What do we... how come we can't just give him the credit for being a really, really good quarterback? Like you, know, you get the feeling that there's something missing and there's something just not quite right that other quarterbacks have, or you know, and remember, this is a guy with a weird history of like randomly throwing the ball backwards out of bounds or just backwards period of uh, kneeling when he was supposed to spike as if he pressed the wrong button in his brain, like most
0: amazing play in NFL history for me.
1: sure. And then in this game, He lined up under guard instead of center. You don't know the play
0: call. You have no idea. You're
1: not in the huddle. You don't know. It just, and this was in the shadow of the 49ers goal line. This was like, you know, a fairly important position. Uh, And the funniest part of the play was like multiple players trying to correct him. You know, Alexander Madison like runs up and tries to like scooch him to the left (laughs) like he's a child. The right tackle, Brian O'Neill was like. Dude, one over. You're in the wrong spot. And then eventually Cousins has to like take a timeout and it didn't cost them. But like my point being, Cousins now has this like fairly extensive library of weird ass brain farts that other quarterbacks just don't have. And at some point you're like, do I really trust you to do the right thing and not like implode when a key moment in the game materializes? And the answer is no, because of these things. That was that was a fun play. <laughs> like, and look, there's it's the not like complete. It's not a unprecedented or b like there are sort of reasons. There he is. Yeah, look at him under under right guard. See, what if it's a direct snap? See, now this I would put this into the playbook. Yeah. If uh, well, now Cousins is your quarterback. You can actually like it's a plausible thing. Yeah, direct snap to Madison now. Um, but so he'd been, the, the play was screwed up from the outset. The receivers were in the wrong place. He was trying to get everybody lined up. And then when he like rushed back under center, he, you know, miscounted and was under the wrong place. It does happen, but it happens to Kirk Cousins more than it happens to other people, is all I'm saying. The Neil Spike
0: thing was very. Close I genuinely see. don't understand how that can happen to a you, person. Sometimes you do press the wrong button. In your brain. Uh, there are so many old NFL, like, blooper reels, though. You get a guy on like, guard, and they're like, oh, no, no, it's over here. But
1: you see the difference between—Cousins you know, now has, like, a book full of these things. No, I get it. I understand. Whereas Tom Brady has played for, like, 25 years and has one play in his lifetime where he forgot the number of—like, he forgot what down it was. Yeah, and he's old. I mean, right? he was 43 like, when he did it. He's played an entire geriatric career, and he's done that once. Kirk Cousins has played for a fraction of the time and has, like, six of them.
0: Yeah, I mean that the bigger concern, obviously, in this one was he throws you know a simple stick route, which the Vikings run all the time. Cousins just stares it down and just forces it. it, it one of the worst interceptions we've seen from him in a while. They did have the two point conversion. I mean, this wasn't why they lost, but he just missed more throws than he had all year. And uh, I saw we've said it on the show here too, right? Like why, why not play this game? If you're the Vikings, right? So going back to your point, why not play this type of game? They, Dalvin had 10 carries and he had 30 of his 39 yards on one carry, right? He had one right. breakaway. Um, Alexander Madison couldn't get much going either. Why not play this game where you put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands and say, "You, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, go, go play football."
1: I mean, this was the if you are a Kirk Cousins doubter or if you're the Minnesota Vikings and you know this idea, why don't they trust him to do this? He's got a fairly long a uh, reel of play now that suggests this is the best way of them playing and that he can actually do more than you think he's capable of. It's like the let Russ cook narrative, right? There, every now and again, there was a game where they load up Russ and he doesn't play well. And it's like, you see, this is why they want to run the ball 58 times and give him 19 targets, you know what I mean? Right. This was the Cousins' version of that, where it's like, if you are the Vikings and you're like, we know that if we put the game in Kirk Cousins' hands and say, go out there, carry this entire offense, it's going to be you and you alone, get this done – this is going to happen. You're going to get a bad Cousins game and we don't win. Um, And I think that's true. I think it is more likely that Cousins has these games than other quarterbacks that are grading in a similar area to Cousins. On the other hand, it's probably still your best way of winning. Like, even with the fear that this game can show up it's you're better off, you, Like it's still your best. It's
0: still the best thing you have available to you. But that's, that's the point. I mean, that's the whole point of when we encourage more passing and, and less running. It's like, would you love to have a game that looks like the Bengals, where Joe Burrow throws the ball twenty four times and the rush game, you know, the run game is excellent, and you have pick sixes, and yes, you would. You would love to have that. But even in uncomfortable. Pass-heavy attack and un- uncomfortable meaning you're missing more throws than you would like. You throw the ball in harm's way a couple times. Like even an uncomfortable passing attack is probably more efficient than most of your run-heavy attacks week to week. That's the thing, right? And then in a game like this where you do have to keep pace with the 49ers' offense, it is probably probably your best bet. But uh, yeah, it's you know Cousins the last two weeks, um, even though they beat the Packers, he. Had a couple a couple turnover-worthy plays there. Hasn't been as good these last couple weeks here.
1: There's a tweet from uh, Pro Football Talk. Kirk Cousins on lining up behind the guard, quote-unquote, just got onto the wrong guy. <clears throat> yeah. Just, That's just, fair. Just telling it like it is. It just, it just happens. Just got under the wrong dude. It happens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I The other thing that was – I might be reading too much into this, but Justin Jefferson appeared to be getting very frustrated as this game wore on with some of the plays – some of the misses that Kirk Cousins had. Like, the two-point conversion, Jefferson shook his guy in the end zone and the ball lands, like, not even at his feet, like a yard short of his feet. And Jefferson, you know, does the whole, like, jump, throws his arms around. It's like, like do you understand how hard it is to shake a dude in the end zone for like to get open like this and you put the ball, like, four yards yeah. in front of me? Like, come on, help me out a little bit
0: here. I don't need that much. Just give me a catchable ball. I thought too I thought things might be different. Early in the game, Zimmer goes for it on fourth and two. Did it a and couple of times in this game. Yeah, I'm just saying I thought that that one in particular. There's going for it on fourth and one feels so different than fourth and two. Like fourth and goal from it the is, two. Yeah. Right? I mean it's it's it is a, it is a difference, obviously, but that felt like the one where okay, we're just gonna put points on the board and all this stuff. They had just thrown an incompletion on third and two. So they have been stuffed, tw- especially that, right? You go, you throw the ball in third and two, and it's incomplete, and then you come back and like oh, we're going to throw the ball again, and they did convert it to uh, Adam Thielen, who just scores touchdowns, and great catch, yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, but I mean, so I thought that was good, right? That was like saying, all right, the the strength of my team right now is the quarterback's accurate, and I got two really really good receivers, one of the best tandems in the NFL, if not the best. So let's do it, and I thought that was great. I thought those were the types of decisions for Zimmer. Uh, and for the Vikings, that would you know maybe pay off. But again, they just they just could not make stops. The turnover hurt a ton because it put the put the Niners at the five, and the Niners were coming off two really long scoring drives where the Vikings couldn't stop them. Of course, five yard drive was easy. Um, so that ended up being the difference in the game. Essentially, was two really long drives by the Niners, the five yard drive after the interceptions by interception by Cousins, and one week after you say, well, Cousins was a big catalyst, even though he had a couple rough plays, big catalyst for the win over the division rival Green Bay Packers. You need to come back this week now. You need to come back this week against another 5-5 five and five team if you're going to make this playoff push on the road against the 49ers, and it's another one just like the Stafford narrative. It's like you pay all this money, you need, you need your quarterback to come through here, and he did it.
1: Yeah. You you can't really have a bad game here. And the other thing is, with the Justin Jefferson dynamic, you know, you have this great receiving duo in Jefferson and Thielen. Um, You know that this offense has the capacity to piss receivers off because they're not going to get the ball as much as other receivers in different systems. And that's why Stephon Diggs, good as he was in this offense— eventually wanted the hell out of there. It's like, yeah, I'm getting a reasonable amount of passes and I'm you know, I'm doing fine and I'm a big part of this offense, but I could go over somewhere else and get 50 more passes thrown in my direction. And I think that's a, not only do I think that's good for me, but I think it actually helps the team better. And you, it's hard to argue given how it worked out for him. It, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen might be perfectly happy as long as everything's going well. And the passes that come in their direction are on target. And okay, you're going to see 40, 50 fewer targets than the top guys in the NFL, but at least the ones that do come in your direction are catchable and accurate and being thrown by a guy, you know, grading as well as anybody. As soon as that guy starts to falter and it's like, okay, now you're getting 50 fewer targets than these other guys and they're no more accurate, like and half of them aren't going to be catchable. All of a sudden, that's going to be really frustrating. Like it's one thing to ask a receiver to accept a lower volume of passes sent in his direction. It's another thing to ask him to accept that with no trade off. Like you're not only are you getting less work, but they're also no better. So you're just just in a crappier situation. So, you know, it's early, Jefferson's only been there, you know, a brief period, but there's precedent for this upsetting receivers already.
0: I, I still think more Justin Jefferson is this the right strategy. Yeah. He is he is legit, man. I, I think he's up there with Devontae Adams. I really do. As far as I want ten to fifteen targets for him every game, good stuff's gonna happen. He'll get open, he'll win at the catch point, he'll do a lot of good stuff. Uh tough one for the Vikings, though, so they fall to five and six, still in second place in the NFC North. Still, nah. I think have
1: the best odds of any of the teams chasing that seven seed to get there. Like this game mattered in terms of sort of percentage chances and who needed it. Like this mattered more for the 49ers than it did for
0: the Vikings. But again, like there's a pretty key loss for Minnesota. So the Niners win their third straight. They're now a game behind the Rams in the NFC West, a game behind the Rams. Rams are seven and four. Niners are six and five. They'll play again. And uh, Niners now Won three straight while the Rams have lost three straight. So those two seasons have have really turned in that division. Seattle's going to play tonight against Washington football team. We'll see if Russ looks like vintage Russ or if he still ha- look at that too graphic. We'll see if Russ still has a uh, mallet finger lingering here on Monday. He had the extra day this week too. Lingering mallet. Yeah. And Washington's Washington's uh playing still not well out of well. it.
1: My uh, Super Bowl pick it's still alive.
0: They're still just yeah, about. Yeah, they're still in. They're the probably hunts. out of it if they lose tonight, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> this is huge. This is where we need. Um, we need Super Bowl Heineke here. Is that every game? I'm yeah, looking through. Believe so. All right, great. Um, Thanksgiving's over, so we'll be back on Wednesday again this week. So no, uh, no two podcast week. Don't worry, we'll be back for three podcasts. And also, don't worry because it's Cyber Monday. Cyber forty is the promo code. Forty percent off any PFF subscription. You don't even have to tell them that we sent you. Just go get it right now. A great time to get your PFF subscription or give a uh, Christmas gift to uh, to a loved one. Uh, It's all over at PFF.com. We get the Edge. We get the Elite Package. You can see it on the screen here at YouTube. If you're listening, go check it out. PFF.com. It is one of the best deals, if not the best, that we will put out every single year. Cyber40 is your promo code. 40% off any subscription. So go do that right now. Uh, If you're in the YouTube chat, appreciate the thumbs up. Get this thing going viral. Tell all your friends. The PFF NFL Podcast, the number one NFL podcast in the land. Nice. That's what I think. Okay. Is that fair? You're just declaring that? Yeah, you know, I mean, award winning. You just say well, like award winning. We're number one. You just say that stuff. It's
1: like you know, music. There's no bad music. There's just it's subjective, right? What yeah. you like, you like. Yeah. So I guess you can declare. That's us a how I one. feel
0: about NFL podcasts. Yeah. There are some other good ones out there. There are some other tastes, but we're the best. I think we're the best. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you guys on Wednesday.